Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode two of Friday Nightmares Podcast. My name is Heather Powell, and I am joined by Scott Crawford. And we are recording from beautiful Flint, Michigan. First off, thank you so much for all the positive feedback we have got on our first episode. Yeah, that was incredible, and I'm glad everybody is really enjoying what we've done. Like, we are very proud of what we've, like, that first episode. Absolutely. And thank you very much to Jerry Herring from Kill the Cast for, yes. um, as most of you know who have listened, we are on the Kill the Cast banner. I'm actually wearing my Kill the Cast tank top right now in support of them. Um, so thank you so much, Jerry, for, for supporting us and uh, for giving us this opportunity to be on the banner. Yeah, you really helped us out, and I greatly appreciate it. It saves us a lot of time and effort, and he he's the one that pretty much gets it all, the works it all out and gets it out there for you. And just a quick promo for them. They've been around for four years now. Yeah. And they had their four-year anniversary in November, and they are currently in Atlanta, Georgia at Days of the Dead. The three of them are together, which is pretty exciting. The three of them together for the first time. For the first time. I was supposed to join them, but unfortunately, due to shitty Canadian dollar and financial situation, I was not able to. Um, but they have some awesome pictures, and they did a funny little video live last night with the three of them together, which was pretty awesome. So if you haven't checked out Kill the Cast, I really recommend listening to them some of my favorites are the horror coliseum i know scott you were on one of those yep the friday the 13th part five versus nightmare on elm street part five that was a really a lot of fun it was you guys did a great job on that oh, thank you and um i've been on a couple of episodes as well you can listen to them if you want to i was on the terrifier suicide club house of wax house of wax and uh cannibal their holocaust. their four-year anniversary which was super sweet yeah and cannibal holocaust man i've been on yeah, wow, been been a lot for, that's what happens when you stalk people they yeah. tend to let you on their show or um, create new shows like us <laughs> yeah or you create new shows randomly through listening to people on that show so anyway we just wanted to shout out kill the cast uh, especially jerry and all the work he's put in so thank you yep thank you manny um but yeah like speaking of conventions um since you weren't able to make it to days of the dead like i had offered up to you know buy the ticket and have you come here to stay and we go to the astronomicon convention that i brought up on our last episode yeah and it was awesome um i don't know how we want to talk about this you want to go first on your experience i guess compared to other conventions maybe i'll talk about my first time yeah yeah because uh this is my second time going to this convention uh it's wrestling horror pop culture type convention uh, but it seems to focus mainly on wrestling and horror mm -hmm. and we didn't uh, decide to you know, go and talk to any guests this time around because, well, the one thing is they have uh, definitely outgrown their venue. It, yeah. It was ridiculous. Uh, we had, we couldn't even park in the convention center parking lot. We had to, like, find uh, Tim Hortons to park in the parking lot and walk, like, a good 10 minutes to get there. And it's here in Michigan, so it's in the middle of winter and snow and wet slush everywhere. It's and just it, outside of Detroit, right, Scott? Yeah. That's, yeah. And, yeah, it was a... Uh, really packed like i i'm happy to see that because it's only their third year and mm -hmm. they have already outgrown this venue and that's impressive as hell but mm -hmm. that also made it so we didn't want to get in line for a lot of these guests because the lines were ridiculously long and they were confusing because everyone was kind of uh blending in with each other's lines and so we just pretty much walked around and just checked out the vendors and yeah i i know a lot of the vendors from going to the conventions around this area so i stop and chat with them and just kind of look at their wares and 
that's what I love to do when I go to these conventions is support the craftsmen that, you know, make these unique items and shirts and stuff like that because they put a lot of hard time and work into it. And this is, for some, it is their full-time job. For some, it's just a part-time side gig. Mm -hmm. But it's fun to support indie artists of any form, especially when it's in the horror genre. And, yeah, like, got to see a lot of cool uh, cosplay and some just really neat stuff just all around. Uh, They even had a video game room upstairs where Mm -hmm. you could sit down and play, like, video game consoles with friends. But that was packed, so we didn't bother. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a really awesome experience. You know, I've only been to one in Niagara Falls, and this is not to do a hit at that convention. I went to it back in two thousand and seventeen, um, but it was it was not like this. The vendors there were maybe ten. Oh wow! Like that would be probably be generous at that convention. I saw the car that was used in Christine. Which, yeah, that was at the Flint Horror Con before. Yeah, so that was cool. Um, I also saw King Harder. I didn't talk to him now i should be clear i i am not like scott where i feel comfortable walking up to celebrities and it's not because i'm intimidated i just feel like a loser because i don't know what to say and i know there's people in the podcasters that are able to just go up and have normal conversations i know kenneth talks about how he sat for an hour with one of the gentlemen derek i don't know derek's last name that played jason in oh, the, derek mears derek mears in the um the remake of friday and and that's awesome. I you know we you have a friend Randy who used to do podcasts with Cemetery yep. with that is also very skilled at that. I am not. I I feel like awkward. And I saw uh, Brutus the Barber beef, beefcake for any of our wrestling fans that listen. And like he hasn't aged the best, but he's drinking a beer, which I thought was pretty awesome. And I, even then, I was like, what am I going to walk up and be like? Hey, when I was five, I really liked it when you like had that drama with the rockers. Like I didn't right. I didn't know what to say, uh, but it was cool to even just see them. Yeah, that I found was really really cool um, to see. Um, oh my gosh, Tom Atkins. Yep, Tom Atkins just sitting there chilling, just sitting there like... like, and just even overhearing them talk a little bit. I really, I really dug it. Um, the vendors were incredible. I bought. Well, I'm going to post it to the page after this. Uh, but I bought this really awesome necklace. Actually, Scott helped me pick it out because I yeah. had my eye on it and we walked around and we went back and it was sick. So yeah, it's a pretty badass necklace. It's pretty, it's pretty sick. So I'm looking forward to sharing pictures of that. Um, yeah, the twisted rap group was there. Yep. And they're the ones that pretty much, uh, created this convention too. Yeah. Like they were, they were awesome. Like I could overhear them talking to fans and you could tell they really wanted to be there. The cosplay was incredible. Like, yeah how people were were dressed up they went all out like it was it was a incredible experience we got some coasters and some buttons and we did meet some of another podcaster that scott oh, knows yep. uh yeah shout out to uh, adam thomas from the double edge double bill he's one of my good friends that i knew from the horror news radio days when he was on that show and we always would meet up at motor city nightmares and ha- meet up and get a drink and then just hang out for the rest of the day till he had to get going and yep i've been on his show with uh, Thomas Mariani probably four times now, I think. And it's a great show. I recommend anybody check that show out. It's Double Edge, Double Bill. But yeah, we got to meet him. Unfortunately, he had to leave like right when we got there. So we only got, I only got to introduce him to Heather for a brief second, but it was still nice to at least get to see him and give him a hug and just chat for a second. Yeah, it was, it was cool. And we probably would have hung out longer if he could have stayed. Um, but even the time that we were there for, it was, it was incredible. And the video game up, room upstairs was incredible. Um, yeah, they even had a Smash Brothers tournament going Smash on, which Brothers was cool. tournament going on. Like it was, it was a lot of fun. And I, and I got why conventions are so awesome. And 
Um, as a lot of you know, I'm from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and I don't have a lot of friends near me that are into as horror as, I, as much as I am. I definitely have friends that like horror movies and enjoy them, but definitely not to the same extent that Scott does. Right. Um, so it means a lot for me to come out here and have that opportunity to actually go to these things and actually go to them with somebody who gets it. You know, that you can yeah. have in-depth conversations with about certain items that you see. And, and like, all the Michael Myers masks were there. And for someone who understands that different masks were used in different movies. And to have a conversation about that. Like, I think that's something that is pretty awesome. Yeah, and that's why I love these conventions. Because, like, you're in a community of people that are all this like-minded individuals. And, yeah, I'm glad that I was able to at least take you out to that since you weren't able to make it to the big one out in Atlanta. Like, that... Because that's one I would love to see at some point, too. Because I've never been to those big-name conventions. Absolutely. So hopefully that will happen eventually. Um, one day, Scott and I will maybe make it out to Chicago or Atlanta for Days of the Dead. We've yeah. kind of become, like, travel buddies and podcaster buddies living so close. It's It's been kind of a huge advantage. Right. Um, you know, it, it and being able to actually see each other. We don't see each other super often, but when we do, it's, it's not that far of a drive, so it's quite doable. Right, exactly. And it's... Uh, and we're both like like-minded individuals that actually get it so we we're pretty much on the same wavelength and we know like how to ha like how, what how to have fun i guess you could say yeah we do have a good time together we also so to give you a funny story that happened so we're leaving the convention oh and we God. had to park across the street so we're we're standing at the light and it's one of these streets where you cross and then there's like a little i guess standing in the middle and Scott and I are just shooting the shit talking about what we're going to do next and I had my back to the road and he was facing the road and this truck came and like the movies, a wall of slush, because we live in the north and it's been snowing, shot up and covered Scott. Like, like we're I talking, was... <laughs> like he got bukkakeed, <laughs> Gary Hill. <laughs> there was a bukkake on Scott and I got it on the side of me, but oh my God, your new shirt. He had just bought a new shirt. Yep, it was soaked through. Um, my beard was completely soaked. My glasses were covered in slush. Like if I didn't have glasses on, I probably would have been sprayed in the eyes with salt and slush. Mm -hmm. Like my, I was just soaked from head to toe from the slush. It was the most coldest and shocking thing to happen that day. <laughs> it really was, and like I didn't get hit as bad. I got hit kind of on the side because I was facing talking to him, and he was facing where the slush came from. Yeah, and I. I seen the truck hit it and it like pretty much felt like slow motion because I just seen this wall of slush just slowly coming in the air and I just couldn't react in time and it just smacked me. Like in the I'm face. pretty sure, and this is a busy road. We're talking like a main. Well, you can imagine if there's a, a, a an area where you stand in the middle of the road to yeah, wait traffic for light. light yeah, yeah, like it's busy, so people must have seen. And it was a wall. Anyway, I was dying of laughter. I thought it was super funny. Scott eventually thought it was funny, but at the time he was not laughing as hard as I was. Yeah, I was. Um, I was more just going, "Son of a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> so then to to. Um, deal with our sorrows we went to great lakes outlet center which you know this little canadian whenever she gets to walk around an american mall by the way which had a candy buffet which i may share to our facebook page too had nothing to do with horror but it blew my mind that there was a candy buffet in the middle of this mall and a carousel a carousel who puts a carousel in the middle of the mall Welcome america, to america. Puts. <laughs> 
parasol in the middle of the mall. Um, so yeah, it's, it was a pretty solid day. Enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, and that was it's the largest mall in Michigan too. It's a uh, I think a mile around when you go like if you walk from end to end. Well, which we did. So yeah. yeah. And yeah, we played some arcade, had some oh, fun yeah. there, and like okay, so Scott and I are big nerds, and we like to go to the arcade. Um, we went to one that was here in Schwartz Creek. Yep. It's considered short sweet, the one that we went to, right? Uh, well, that would be Flint. Flint, okay. Where we went to is. one in Flint. And then we went to this one, and it was like a mini David Busters, for those of you who have been to David Busters. And we played this air hockey game. So we have this Canada versus U.S. thing that we do. And Scott beat me last time. I almost didn't get across the border because of it. <laughs> um, but, so it's it was... Um, pac-man and what happened is so where we start the game and you get two two little like um paddles paddles each and we put in the money whatever we just swipe the card and all these these pucks fell at one time there was like 10 to 15 pucks yeah it was just pure chaos and you're just swinging left and right yeah we were just like it was a workout like we were like working our bodies out during this yeah i was exhausted i was physically exhausted afterwards So anyway, we we're we're super big horror nerds, and then we had this super artistic film weekend of what we watched, and then it's it's ironic because this theme is slashers, which is like the complete opposite of what we watched right. this weekend together. But yeah, and anyway, we'll get we'll into, get into that, that shortly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was it was been a fun visit so far as it always is whenever I come out. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad that you're able to experience this convention, and then yeah, hopefully in April we'll do Motor City Nightmares. Yeah, and, that's the plan. Yeah, that's the bigger one of our area and it's much more spaced out so it doesn't feel so crammed though it is getting it is starting to outgrow itself as well wow that's good though yeah horror power yeah exactly i want to see more of this in michigan absolutely but yeah um so yeah that that was pretty much our fun little experiences that we had and like we're gonna jump right into uh the news segment where we're just gonna cover some trailers that we've seen recently like recently, as in like ten minutes ago. Yeah, well, and a couple that we probably seen, like, well, she never seen, but like a couple that I'd seen yeah. like earlier, because I, I, I'm a, I don't care. I watch trailers, like, because that's how I know if I'm going to be interested in a film. If it spoils something, oh well, I don't care. I'll still re, I'll still watch it. I, don't I listen to podcasts that spoil films before I watch them, so I, yeah, trailers don't bother me. Um, but we will do uh, our best when we talk about what we've been watching recently to be spoiler free. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to ruin that, especially with newer films. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the first one we should talk about is the uh, the documentary, The Mothman Legacy, which Tanya Torrance from the Horror Mafia podcast ended up uh, sharing on our Facebook yep. page. So, yeah, go check out that podcast. It's her, Donna Nelly, Bill Casanelli, and Joey Colombo, or Joey Infante, as some people know him. Uh, great show. Highly recommend it. But, yeah, she shared this one on our page, which I'm a sucker for documentaries and especially on like the urban legends and things like that and myths and this is talking about the mothman uh the mothman creature that has been spotted throughout west virginia and uh and the appalachias and stuff like that and it looks like it's going to be out in the summer and mm-hmm. it's in kickstarter right now may i think oh was it i think may? i saw may the okay. fifth i think like around the well for canada around victoria day weekend and i think for you guys just before uh memorial oh okay yeah yeah and uh <clears throat> Yeah, it looked like it'd be a pretty interesting documentary. Like, I'm fascinated by, like, these types of urban legends and, like, to see other people's stories about that. I eat up urban legends like candy. I think it is amazing. I love urban legends. I love the story about, like, the hook with the guy on the car and 
Oh, yeah. Girl goes inside, her boyfriend's dead. Like, I, Candyman, you name it, I'm down. So I really like the quality of how that film looks like it was done. I like how the interviews are being done and then how they're having, like, the reenactments throughout it. I, it looks solid. It yeah, looks it solid, entertaining, creepy. I wouldn't say scary, but I would say definitely creepy. Yeah, creepy and fascinating mm-hmm. is how I'd look at it. Creepy and fascinating. That's a good way to find it. And, yeah, there really isn't much to talk about that one as a trailer because it's just a documentary, like, like you will know more when it comes out or because it's like yeah it's on kickstarter and if you're a fan of documentaries and stuff like go check it out on kickstarter it's called the mothman legacy mm-hmm. and uh give them some support if you want um the next trailer well this one is uh came out earlier this week and that is chris rock's spiral the book of saw which is mm-hmm. the new installment of the saw franchise mm-hmm. what did you think of this trailer heather oh man i thought it's great i i I am excited that he is not just rehashing the same story. Yes. This is not a remake. You know, I did not get remake vibe at all. I got readaptation and retelling and expanding on a story. Yeah, because I feel like it's almost like a just a later sequel in the series. Yes, or, you know, someone that's continued Jigsaw's work. And I watched some Saw movies in between the time of me coming out to see God and yeah she had some words uh you know they're okay like they're fine they are what they are i just think um it got a little sloppy as the series went on but i think that this is this looks like it's much more high quality i like that uh chris tucker is in it uh, chris rock sorry chris rock chris and rock. samuel jackson and samuel jackson um i like the idea that you know just the, the premise of it it looks really really cool i won't give too much away to that but i think it looks different and yeah, still it, very interesting. Because it didn't feel like a Saw film when we were watching the trailer. No, but I... I, I like there's a, there's a scene at the end, which is kind of yeah. Saw-ish. Um, but I, I just like that they're doing a readaptation. And, and yet again, I, I've been on a couple of shows. I don't have a beef with remakes. I I like remakes. I like readaptations. Anything that gets people watching horror movies, I don't care. I don't care what you call something. I don't care how often you remake something. If it right. gets someone new interested in the genre, all the better. We need... We need more horror fans. Not like the world has like a cap. Okay, no more horror fans. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it will be really, really entertaining. Hopefully it will be out on a weekend um, that I'm out here in Scott and I can go see it together because it is really awesome to go watch someone, go watch horror movies with someone who's as equally into it as you are. Right. Yeah, it's very rare to find someone like that, like yeah. at, least, at least from our experiences. Yes, yes. But yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Like this looked like a... Uh... Because I'm not the biggest fan of the Saw franchise. Like, I watched the whole franchise and I thought movies here and there were good and the other were just kind of okay. But the story got really convoluted and just didn't... I think they were chasing their own tail. Didn't really know how to, like, tie everything up and have it make sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's kind of nice to see that this is just kind of take doing a different take. Mm. And it's like... it. Yeah, like I said, it doesn't feel like a Saw film. Yeah, they show, like, a scene at the end that kind of could tie it in like just i think it's just to let the main audience know oh this is a saw movie <laughs> there'll be some human traps in it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah but yeah I, I think this looks interesting and i'm definitely curious to check it out like because i have noticed a trend with the uh the comedians taking on directing and producing roles of horror films mm-hmm. and some of them have been quite successful i mean look at jordan peele yeah and so yeah i'm I'm all about them trying, because comedians, the way I look at it, uh, their jokes a lot of the time come from a dark place already. Mm-hmm. 
So it just kind of fits that they would do something in the horror genre. And to build on horror noir, 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 horror noir, noir, um, from last year. Yep. Which is an excellent documentary on Shutter talking about African Americans, um, or blacks, whatever, anyone that comes from a, a different culture than being white, basically getting into movies. Um, I, I think it's nice to see that. I think it's nice to see an all African American cast doing a movie. Yeah. I think we need more of that. I think we need more of the Jordan Peels. We need things from other viewpoints. Right. And I'm very impressed. And that's not obviously the big focus of this movie, and I'm not trying to make it a political thing. But I think it's nice to see. It's nice to see different cultures having their opportunity to star in a film, direct a film, write a film. We need more of that. And I'm really happy to see it happening. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's... It's very nice to have that diversity. And the... uh Next trailer we ended up watching was uh, Dead Sound by Uncorked Entertainment. Oh, good old Uncorked Entertainment. Yep, you never know what you're going to get with them. It could be something just, they're like the Blumhouse of low-budget independent. You know what I feel like they're like? when You know when we were at the convention yesterday and there's that lady trying to sell the surprise bags for $10? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. You're going to like get a surprise bag and you're either going to be like, Oh man, there's some good stuff in here. You're gonna be like, oh no, I don't know what this is, and this is crappy. Like it's 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 one way or another with Uncork, but bless their heart, they really do put efforts in. And out of the movies I've seen, you know, their special effects are okay. Yeah. Like they don't go. And not, mind you, I've seen a handful, so I'm not. Maybe there's listeners out there that have seen more films. And like Heather, you're completely wrong. Some of the special effects are really bad. Absolutely, for the ones that I've seen, I, I think they work with what they have. Like it's small set, small cast, like not over the top stuff. Yep. Sometimes right? they try to uh, overextend themselves, but it's not very often. And oh, this trailer was uh, recommended to us by Craig. Oh yeah, yep. Craig Wooten from uh, the Talking Films uh, Facebook page. Thanks, Craig. Yep, just wanted to give you a shout out because you have been sharing a lot on our page, and that's awesome. And yeah, and yeah, if you're fans of films in general, go uh, go to the Talking Films group and ask to be invited because it's a good community of people. I really like this film though. This is right up my alley. I don't know if Craig knew that just because he's like realized what all I like, but I it's totally my jam. Like group of people like there's some teenage mid-adult angst going on there it looks like there's gonna be some some sex some drinking which i'm all about so <laughs> <laughs> anyway um but no it looks like it's gonna be one of those typical easy to watch horror films and sometimes you need that you just need something easy yeah the plot looks a little predictable about what's gonna happen but you know what that's yep. okay and we'll give a quick plot but yeah it's like basically these kids miss their boat to uh go across to this island it looked like it was a party boat or something. Yeah. So they were stuck in the town for a day, and they find someone that's willing to take them out onto the ocean to get to that island. And, well, things go poorly for them while they're dun, on the dun, boat. Dun. And that's about as far as they'll go into that. But, yeah, it looked looked silly, but it's. I'm also a fan of isolated horror. Mm-hmm. And what's more isolated than being on a small boat with a few people in the middle of an ocean? I started thinking of this song by the Lonely Island. I'm on a boat. <laughs> right. Or I'm thinking... uh <laughs> The implication that Dennis Reynolds from It's Always Sunny talks about, like, get a girl on a boat by herself out in the middle of the ocean, where's she going to go? It's the imp- I'm not, No, 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 I'm not talking about actually doing anything, but it's the implication. I know what you're talking about, <laughs> oh, but it sounds funny. Oh, it's hilarious. This is something you'll have to show me after we're done recording. Yeah, I'll have to, because it's, it, my God. Anyways. <laughs> we digress. Um, 
But then we ended up watching the trailer for The Lodge, which I am very excited to see this. This Man. looks intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, uh, for one, I, if you heard us on the horrorcast, you'll be, uh, you'll know that I was kind of shocked to find out that this was Hammer Horror coming back and, mm-hmm. like, they did The Women in Black, which I didn't realize. And, like, I didn't know that they'd still been around. But, wow, this looks incredible. Looks like a, uh occult suicide type deal happens and then yeah. this weird crazy stuff is happening in this lodge where they can't get us can't escape and for those of you who don't like trailers i would say that this trailer doesn't give that much away yes they go to a lodge okay like the title of the film is lodge so one would put together that they're going to a lodge yeah. and, but overall and obviously it is a mind bend but man some of the scenes that they showed in there and it's that subtle creepiness which we did see in a movie that we saw on friday night together yes we did um which is really really entertaining but yet again this is a movie you got to be in the mood for yeah you know and it reminds me of heredity midsummer hansel it's i always get this wrong gretel uh gretel and hansel gretel and hansel i always want to reverse it um you got to be in the mood for that stuff but i'm i'm excited i'm excited for it yeah this one uh i guess it's supposed to be out sometime this month um Though it looks like it's the limited run theaters and like it's nowhere in Michigan. Like and I've seen we're in Ontario. Yeah, we're in Ontario. <laughs> I know it's pretty much like New York, California, like Venom. The, yeah, Venom. So Jerry Venom, of course, will um, see Venom it and rub see it, in. it and tell everybody about it. Yeah, and we'll all hate him for it. Um, Mister, I live in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> I get all the special screenings. No kidding, huh? <laughs> but uh, then, yeah, we yeah, this movie looks really freaking cool, and mm-hmm. it. Seems like my type of horror film. Yeah, I think I would like it too, actually. And Scott and I sometimes differ on movies like this, but I think this is one that both of us are going to enjoy. Yeah, and speaking of that, I think the next one, too, <clears throat> is something we'll both enjoy, mm-hmm. and that's uh, Antlers. Oh, man. Yeah. Holy crap, this one. Like, I I remember seeing a trailer for this probably two years ago. Yeah, me too. And I was like, oh, this looks awesome. And then I just forgot about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now it's finally coming out, and my God, does this like they had a final trailer that we ended up watching, and shit, this looks creepy as hell, and it looks like it does not hold back on the violence and just the creepiness, and it definitely looks like it's got some type of creature in it that looks pretty lanky, like a pumpkin head type. Yeah, yeah, and like and it's another urban legend type story. Very much folklore. an urban legend. Very much. Um... I would say a, a build movie. Like, I think it's going to have a peak at the beginning and then it's going to build as it goes on. Yep. I would say if you like trailers, um, we probably said too much already, but that's okay. Um, it's I would not watch the trailer. I, I think, sorry, if you don't watch trailers, don't watch the trailer. Yeah. Because I think the trailer gives a lot away for people who don't like trailers. Yes. I don't think if you if you enjoy trailers and you it doesn't bother you. You don't care about spoilers. Like, honestly, like, I think, it, yet again, the movie kind of like, when it says antlers, you can kind of assume what could be going on in it. Um, but yeah, I would say that the trailer gives a lot of the movie, not as bad as Pet Cemetery, <laughs> um, but I would say that it's up there. Like there's probably going to be certain scenes that they probably won't be as scary if you watch the trailer, if you go see the movie, but yeah. that from, yeah, man, for Scott and I doesn't take it away. We will still definitely go see it. Right. Exactly. So. It's, it's something like, cause yeah, we don't care about spoilers and it's, it's for us more the ride. Yes. To that spoiler. Even if we get something spoiled, it's like, that's more of the ride and how it's crafted. And there's a child actor in it. And I gotta say, like, even after watching um, Hansel and Gretel, 
Hansel and Gretel. Or Gretel and Hansel. Gretel and Hansel. Um, I'm really impressed with child actors, man. There's like, been some good ones lately. They are really stepping it up, and I think it's hard to be a child actor, and they are, I don't know, the kids I'm seeing in films recently, like, they're really, they're doing really well. Yeah, I am, because usually when they're, especially the, like, the last ten years or so, it's like, oh, there's this child actor, oh, gosh, it's gonna be rough to sit through, because, you know, child actors, they're children. Mm-hmm, it's tough. Mm-hmm. But, no, some of these child actors, my They've been really impressive. Yeah, they really have been. And I think it really showcased that. Yeah. And, well, yeah, speaking of that, like, in the Lodge trailer, you see that uh, the kid that played uh, Bill from yeah. It is actually in that. So it looks like pretty much all the kids from It are, you They're know, getting work. Yep, they're getting work somewhere. We're just, because, uh, I mean, Eddie was in uh, Shazam. Yep. And uh, I think the only one we're missing now is uh, Ben and, uh, crap, what's his name? Uh, Stan. Yep. They're the only two I haven't seen in other films yet. Yeah, they're the only two. But, yeah. So, good on you kids. You guys are doing a great job. And yep. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, speaking of Gretel and Hansel, might as well jump into what we've yeah. been watching. Let's, yeah. I went to an American theater, guys. Very exciting. First time experience. I came out Friday night. And Scott and I went to, what was the name of the theater? NC... It was called NCG Trillium. NCG Trillium. Is that a Michigan chain? I'm not sure, actually. I just know it's NCG movies. Like, it's like, like that's the name, like. Kind of like Cinemark and AMC type Okay. And it was amazing. We got a bucket of popcorn, which was epic. Let me just tell you that much. The seats were pretty comfy. But our theater-going experience wasn't... something to be desired. You know, and we won't spoil the movie. First of all, I liked the movie more than Scott. So maybe we should talk about that. Because we didn't think it was going to be that way. Yeah, I... This came from Osgood Perkins, who... I'm a huge fan of his uh, movie Black Coat's Daughter, and uh, so I had, you know, I had high expectations, but I started tempering them a bit. But then I started hearing everybody in our podcast community just like, "Oh my god, this movie's amazing!" So I was like, my hype levels shot back up again, and I'm like, "All right, cool, this is gonna be great." And I'm like, "This is totally not gonna be a Heather film, but this is gonna be great <laughs> for me." <laughs> and yeah, I went into it, and I, yeah, it was well directed, well acted. Beautifully shot, great score, great atmosphere. It just, for me, it drug. Like, it was an hour and a half long movie, but it almost felt like two, two and a half hours long to me. Mm -hmm. It just, Mm -hmm. like, it started off at a decent pace in the beginning, and I think it's just somewhere in the middle. It just goes to a slog for me, and I just, it took me out of the film. And it was hard for me to get back into it, and then... I won't get into details about one of my other little minor complaints, but it was having to do with uh, magic. Yes. Yes. And, yeah, I, I think all in, a row, all in all, I gave it like a 7 out of 10, so it's, you know, a good movie, but it just wasn't what I was hoping for. And I can't remember what I gave it now, but I think I think you were away, an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I think I moved it to an 8.5 um, for me, and it might even move up to a 9 for me, which is weird. Yeah, because this is not the type of film that we expected you to like. Um, But what I I really enjoyed in it was there's some dialogue between two female characters. And it's an older female and a younger female. And some of the dialogue that they talked about in sense of becoming a woman and woman's roles. And, you know, maybe other people want to pick up on that, but I certainly did. 
And to me, that really won the movie over for me. The, yep. the dialogue, even between the brother and sister, was just <coughs> very well done. The casting they did for this. There is really three main actors. Yeah. There's a couple other side actors throughout it, but there's three. And and some of the scenes, there's just two that commute the most. And it's the two female ones. And man, were they good. Oh, yeah. Man, were they good. And the dialogue and the, and the delivery of it. But... And I don't know how to make a new rating, but I think we need to make a new rating in society called artistic films. And the reason why I say that is not because I want to make it elitist, but there were some young people in this theater. When I say young people, there was probably a group of 16-year-old ladies with yep. their 16-year-old friends, male friends. and Maybe even younger. Maybe even younger. And then it was, was PG-13. It was PG-13. And then there were probably... The boys that were behind them were probably 13 and they talked and they were making noise. And at the end of it, they talked about how much they hated the film and how much it was boring. And you know what? At 13 or 16, most 13 or 16 year olds were think it's boring. Now yeah, there may it's be not their type of, it's not a film for them. No. And now maybe there's a 13 and 16 year old out there that would like, yeah. I am not at all painting all 13 and 16 year olds the same, but this was a slow burn. It had a lot of dialogue in it. It had a lot of dialogue that was old English that you really had to try to follow. The filming was very abstract how it was filmed. This was not a fast-paced movie. No, it was not. It, like I said, it drugged for me like a right? snail's crawl. And I'm a 38-year-old male horror fan that loves slow burns. And when I say something's dragging, imagine what 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds with the attention span of a gnat can like will feel on this film absolutely and i feel like the dialogue between the two females made a lot more sense to me being in my 30s and experiencing what i have experienced to this point like they refer to one point the older female says to the younger female something about her becoming property of a man and her use of that and i really think back to how that's still very relevant if we look at marriage in our society and how women are considered more valuable if they're married yeah um so like i you know, for me, I really dug into that. 16-year-old Heather would have dug into that. Like, I would have been looking for the slashing. I would have been looking to hold on to my boyfriend or whatever dude or... I liked at the time. Um, maybe making out in the theater. Like, that's probably what I would have been doing at 16, not sitting through a movie like this. So I, I sometimes wonder with films like this, because it did affect my enjoyment of it. Like, and then we had people in front of us talking. I felt like everyone in the movie theater was talking, but Scott and I. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and when we were talking, we would lean into each other and just talk really quietly to each other. Well, and it was brief, brief and with purpose. Like there was yeah. one point where Scott got a Charlie horse and he'd get up and walk it off. Like that's, you know, not the same thing. Yeah, Cause I, I'm old and my body fails. Right. But... <laughs> or like passing the popcorn to each other. We're not talking like we were having full out conversations. It was, you know, conversations here or there man these kids won't shut the heck up yeah right so it's anyway that kind of took a little bit away from the experience for me but i think overall i would recommend this film i think if you like um heredity midsommar uh black coat's daughter would you agree that you would like this yeah i i don't know if you would like it but i would agree that you should at least give it a shot because the like I said, I, those are all films I love, and mm. this didn't hit with me. I'm not sure why exactly. I like because I on our ride, on our ride home from like the theater, it took me how long to kind of even spit out the words on why I just wasn't into it. Well, I think if we were doing spoilers, you could explain a little bit more, but we're not. Yeah, like you have some good reasons why you didn't enjoy yeah, and, it as much. And I like and like I said, it's still a seven out of ten. Still a good movie. It just and I would recommend people check it out. Just yeah, something for me just didn't connect the way I wanted it to. Yeah. But all in all, still, you know, 
It's the one of the well until we come up to the next film, but one of the better films of 2020 so far for absolutely. horror. Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of that, I guess uh, we should jump into the next film we ended up watching last night. Uh, Color Out of Space. Lovecraft! By, directed by Richard Stanley, starring good old Nick Cage. Good old Nick Cage. Good old Lovecraft story. Good old Lovecraft. Which is something Heather loves. Love Lovecraft. Can't get enough of it. Watch it all the time. Every day. All day. N- notice the sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> well, why but, don't you go first to talk about it? Alright. Well, I'm a huge Lovecraftian fan. I love life, Lovecraftian horror of all sorts. Like, there's a film that's just like, even just touches briefly on Lovecraft like themes. I'm like, I'm I'm a mark for that. And this film hit pretty much every stinking note that I needed for like this to happen. I like I watched the trailer about a year ago and I was like, wow, this looks bizarre, crazy, and pretty. I'm that's all I need. Alright, I'll wait till it comes out. And it was exactly that. Bizarre, crazy, pretty nick cage off the fucking chain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh being nick cage doing an amazing job just losing his mind and like it, ha- it hits on the lovecraft themes of madness and the cosmic stuff that is unexplainable and but it's you know pretty much a meteor lands in this family's front yard and sinks into the ground and weird stuff starts happening and shit goes down and my god does it go down yep yep and yeah, it's. I can't even talk about this film because there's just too much that would spoil. But this is this movie blew my mind. Like I, it's gonna be uh, nine nine point five out of ten for me. It's it's right. It's gonna be in the top ten of the year for sure. Like I don't think I can unless the rest of the year ends up blowing my freaking mind like this. It's going to be hard to knock it out of that. It's funny. Scott said that last night when we finished watching. He's like, oh, for sure my top ten. And I said, it's still early. <laughs> it's only February. Let's not get too excited. But it probably will be in the top ten. It will be. Yeah, because for, sure. for... Well, I'm just looking back at the past couple of years of my top ten lists. And usually my lists start with 8.5s. <laughs> so if it's already a 9 or a 9.5, it's going to be hard to dislodge it unless this year is just incredible. I think if you do a rewatch, you'll be at a 10. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think it's going to be right up there with me because you you know that's this is my type of movie. Absolutely, and I can second it. Um, I am not a huge Lovecraft fan. That being said, man, is this movie excellent? It is entertaining. You buy into the characters completely. Yes. Um, the you know about Lovecraft, um, slow descent as Scott likes to say into madness, mm-hmm. done so well, and Nick Cage is great, and the kids are great. Um, the youngest kid is okay. Like, he's probably the most lackluster, but really, in all fairness, he doesn't do that much. So, right. um, the two middle, middle children are exceptional. The mother is very good. Um, the side characters are meh, meh, but they're not in it much, you know? Yeah, so, I will say Tommy Chong is quite entertaining. Yeah, like, oh yeah, he's great. I wasn't referring to him. I was referring more the, to... The, the hydrologist? Yeah, the hydrologist and the sheriff. Like, they're okay, but they don't have a big part in it. So right. I feel like, you know, they could have... Whether they acted good or well or bad, it doesn't really matter. Um, excellent film. Beautifully, beautiful film. And I took away an environmental message from that. Now, maybe they didn't mean an environmental message, but I definitely took away an environmental message. So for those of you who do watch this movie, I don't know, maybe we'll put a survey question out there. What do you think this movie was referring to now? Because it's it's, it's being adapted, right? I don't think this is the same story. I think it was an adaptation of the story. Yeah. Right? So um, 
and we all know climate change. You know, we're all aware of stuff that's going down. And I really felt like there was a message at the end of it. And I could be completely wrong. Maybe there was just a message for me. And that's okay. Right. But, um, yeah, <laughs> amazing film. I, I've moved up in my rating more and more. more I think about it, it's probably a 9.5 out of 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, because this is what I said to Scott. And he knows I don't love science fiction-y type films. Because I consider it science fiction-y. Other yeah, people it, may yeah. not, but I do. Lovecraft is science right? fiction. So... Um, I said to him, if this was on TV and I was flipping through and I saw it, I would watch it. And that tells me I like it. That it's not, and now I would not have watched it if it wasn't for Scott. So this is one of the reasons for Scott and I's super duper close podcasting friendship buddies is that we force each other to watch movies, <laughs> sometimes the good and the bad. Right. Um, that we wouldn't normally watch. So I'm very appreciative of him getting me to watch this and not that he forced me to, but I would not have watched it on my own accord. Right. Cause so. you knew my excitement level for this. So you're like, and it seems like whenever I get excited for something, just like when you get excited for something, it makes the other one of us want to watch it. Cause we're just like, well, if you're excited, okay, I got to see what this is about. Well, I trust your opinion. And even yeah, though we same. may not like, like Midsommar was your number one movie, 2019. It wasn't on my top 10. Yeah. Right. But, I respect the heck out of that film. Yeah. So you understand it and respect it. It's absolutely. just not your thing. It just wasn't my thing. <clears throat> I, this will probably make it to my top 10. I don't think it will be my number one. I don't think it will be close to my number one. Not because it's not a good movie. Just because if I'm looking at personal taste, it may not be up there. But yeah, this is a solid 9.5 and it may even move to a 10. It is a exceptionally well done film. Yeah. And this one for me, I wouldn't say number one because I don't know what the heck's going to be coming out this year, but I would say I could see this staying in my top five mm -hmm. just because of the rating mm -hmm. and just like being a Lovecraft fan that I am. And yeah, 2020 off to a fairly good start with us. Like we've only watched what, four? Well, we watched films? The Marshes, which was not. Yeah, we might as well just jump uh, into that. That was, was okay. Yeah. yeah, it was a Shutter exclusive. It was. It kind of made me Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. Yeah. Jeepers Creepers meets, uh, what was that movie? Uh. Wolf Creek. Yeah. And, yeah, it was like a hybrid. Yeah, and yeah. it was okay. It, it had okay. some moments that I really enjoyed, but then there were some moments that were just like, why is this here? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, I think originally I gave it like a 6.5 or 7 out of 10, but I think as I went on, like, thinking about it, my score is lowered to more like a 5.56. Yeah, I think mine's a 6. And that's yeah. probably being generous. Yeah. Yeah. It was okay. It was... It, it was worth a watch. Yeah, it wasn't like, there's worse things we've watched, as we will get to. Yeah, we will be getting to that shortly. <laughs> um, and then, should we mention My Valentine? Yeah, I'll say, yeah, we, uh... Heather doesn't have Hulu, so we, uh... I'm gonna start introducing her to, introducing her to the Into the Dark Hulu series that's once a month holiday-themed uh, horror film will be released by Blumhouse. And it's, yeah, it's kind of like an anthology series, so yeah, like... There's a January one, which is, like, based on New Year's, and then there's uh, the one that we watched today called, or yesterday called My Valentine, which is based on Valentine's, and yeah, this one, like, how did you call it? Bubblegum Horror. Yes. This is, like, Bloomhouse's Bubblegum Horror. It's just something to sit back. You don't have to really think about it too much. Just fun to, you know, just, just enjoy the ride. Like, we finished... Um, color of space and we watched that and it was a nice like cleansing your palate <laughs> it was like well, yeah. i just need something fluffy that's not gonna bother me and this is fluffy fun like and what i like about this film 
is simple set. Yep, it was all in one setting. Uh, Dialogue was good. Acting was good. And these were actors. Like, we looked up the actors because they were pretty decent. Like, for what it was, it was very decent. And some of them had very minor roles in TV and some other stuff. Hey, good for you. Like, it was entertaining. Would I watch it a second time? Probably not. No, I'm like... But it was it was filmed cool. It was basically about this woman who's a singer, so it would flash back and forth between music videos and stuff. And honestly, for a light watch on a Saturday night with some drinks, not bad at all. And it had some like for a hor- like the gore hounds. There was like some couple scenes, couple scenes of some decent violence. Nothing like over the top or anything. And good special but... effects. Yeah, like you know, props to yet again these films that know that they know what they are. Yeah. It's an hour and twenty minutes long. It's a simple plot simple set and the kills that are done are done well the death scenes were probably realistic they showed some some pretty horrific deaths probably realistic to how stuff would happen yeah and it was done well instead of just trying to do too much and doing it shitty they did a less and did it well yep exactly and they you know didn't have to show everything they just showed little bits in here yep. here and there what they needed and yeah i just like the like the story about the uh toxicity of relationships and things yeah. like that too like because you know i've a lot of us have been through that so we understand and it, yeah it was relatable on a couple levels it was very relatable <clears throat> um i came out of an abusive relationship i don't mind sharing that and there was one of the gentlemen that was in this well, actually, i not really call him a gentleman that's probably being over yeah. <laughs> yeah um was very abusive and it and i've heard those phrases used so and i thought the the female's reaction that was being abused was very legit like it it actually talked about abuse and again, this is a film that educated without shoving it down your throat. Exactly. Right? So this was a film that really looked at um, those characteristics of it. Like, honestly, I think this is a movie that you could introduce to someone, you know, know your kid, but 13, 14, 15, 16. Um, and I think for females, there was a good message in it, to be honest with you. For young ladies, I think that learning of what behavior comes across as love, it's not love. And I'm not to get too heavy here, but there was definitely some stuff in there that I think women could... to pull away from and and take oh, yeah. that. Not to say that it only happens to women. I know that men end up in that situation too, but I think young girls, young women sometimes mistaken controlling for love. And I think they did a good job of of educating people without yet again shoving it down your throat. Yeah. And yeah, this was cuz reading the description I'm going, okay, this could be really bad. Like cuz when I read the description, the synopsis for it, I'm going these these into the darks are like she was saying, bubblegum horror, like you don't know what you're going to get. Something could be could be entertaining, could be just not that good and just mm-hmm. didn't hit with you. So I was like, eh, this could be one of those. But yeah, this one was entertaining enough. Like, not going to be, uh, you know, mind-blowing end-of-the-year material that I say everyone must watch to, uh, like, for their top tens at the end of the year. But it's, if you're just in the mood for something light and that has, like, a good, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, uh, a good, a good moral, good yeah, moral. a good message, yeah. And it, and I think for men watching it too, by the way, and like Black Christmas, where you maybe feel like it's man bashing. This isn't man bashing. I no. think any man watching this is like, yeah, this guy's a dick, and hopefully he gets what's coming to him. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> like, that's pretty much how I felt, you know. And and again, easy watch, recommended if you have Hulu. Worth it. Yeah, and I'd say I'd probably give it about a seven out of ten. Yeah, I'd probably give it the seven out of ten too. It's it was entertaining enough. Yeah, and we'll hopefully be uh, on our next episode discuss the. 
January one that we haven't watched yet, but we'll be watching that later, hopefully. Yeah, and, and watching more 2020 watches. I, I really want to see Invisible Man. I know we need to talk about that, but that's yeah. another movie that I think handles the abuse, um, you know, angle with the Invisible Man's you know for anyone that's seen the trailer that's the angle that they're i still need with to see it. the trailer for it um and i think that it's you know it does look very p- predictable as well but i think it's going to be a really well done film right yet again educate without shoving it down your throat yes that's that's the goal here right um so do we want to just uh talk about what we've been watching like well we've been we've been doing that but like uh the what was it? Indigenous and Dead Spot. You and I both. Yeah. You recommended both of these to me. Like you found them on Tubi because you got all of a sudden addicted to Tubi over this last. Thanks, two weeks. Mark Nato, for mentioning Tubi because <laughs> yep. I didn't know what Tubi was. I'm a simple Canadian. I don't know these things. Um, yes, Tubi is a free app to anybody that doesn't know that uh, has a massive library of films, and the only thing you got to do is just sit through commercials every like 25 minutes or so. And, like, the shittier the movie, the less commercials. <laughs> yeah. It's only, like, the movies that are well-known that really have a lot of commercials. There was one movie I watched straight through, no commercials. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. I think it was Dead Spot the first time I watched it. There oh, was no, no commercials. Yeah. There was multiple commercials for me in that one. Yeah, there was nothing for me. Um, so, Dead Spot and Indigenous, I watched. Um, uh, Dead Stop. Dead Stop, sorry. Dead Stop. And, you know, low budget. But, man, were they good. Yeah. I enjoyed them quite a bit. They were just fun. Very fun. Um, the basic for Dead Stop is they're, they they get stranded in the desert and many things go after them. And, and there's some good human elements that are in it, too. There's a, there's a bunch of mixed characters and there's some relationship drama that occurs. And, like, it's pretty accurate to how people would probably react in that situation. And it's, and it's not a happy film. Like, no. Not a happy film. Um, but it's, it's good. And then Indigenous was just, um, you know, about... A group of, I think it's Americans. Uh, yes. Is it Americans? Yeah, I think so. And they go to... Americans and I think maybe a couple uh, Europeans. A couple Europeans. And I can't remember the country they go to now. Oh. Oh my gosh, how bad is this? Was it? Yes, I think you're right. And they go, anyway, they go sightseeing, they go off a trail. And it's really good. It's also, both of them are kind of creature features with human drama. Yep, and Indigenous had more of the urban myth type Mm -hmm. creature like story that yes like there was something to it but yeah they and both films did exactly what i kind of complained about with boar when our last episode where it's like you when you're low budget and you have to use cgi or something like that hide your creature in shadows Mm -hmm. and they did a fantastic job with both these films keeping the creatures in shadows so much so in dead stop you barely even you don't even get to really see exactly what the creature looked like. It's like because they probably just didn't have the budget to make the full yep. outfit for it, and just gave you brief glimpses and flashes, and that's all you need. Absolutely, you didn't need like sure the big reveal can be cool if you want if you have the awesome effects and you can show it off, but if you don't have it, use what you got, and yep. it worked out well. And indigenous, they did show off the creatures like towards mm-hmm. the end, and they man did they nail it. Yep, they looked creepy and they looked good. And, yeah, there was uh, some good tension through both films. And I would say to you, if you like The Ruins, you'll like Indigenous. Yes. Like, yeah, I, I think a... if you enjoyed The Ruins, um, you'll like that. And, and Dead Stop, I don't know. I, I don't know what I would compare it to. Um, I don't know. If you just like relationship movies of people in dire situations, stranded somewhere, 
And they, it almost had the stranded element of Hills Have Eyes. Or the open water, even. Yeah. Right? Where you're, it's the survival yeah, horror. Yeah, the survival horror. If you, it, that's a good way. If you like survival horror, um, you probably dig this. Yeah, because I, I probably would have just skipped right over these films and to be like, until Heather was just like, all right, I really enjoyed these. You should check these out. And so I was just like, ah, oh, screw it. I'll give it a watch. And yeah, I actually enjoyed them both. Like, think they're both around like sevens out of tens for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and yet again props to low budget man like i think sometimes low budget stuff gets gets like thrown aside you know like you can't always have big over the top practical effects you can't always have that and right. these are fun they're fun entertaining watches yeah exactly that's what it was just kind of turn your brain off just have some fun not like some serious films like dead stop had more of a serious theme to it mm-hmm. but I've watched them either, like, I won't talk about these films, but yeah, I've watched some films in the last month that were literally just, you have to turn your brain off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I like those type of films. But we're mainly just talking about ones we've seen, like, together or, like, either seen through our watches when we talk through our messenger and stuff yeah. like that. And there's one more that <laughs> Heather convinced me into watching. Okay. Well, how about you start with this one? <laughs> okay. So, if you listen to us on um, the Rotten Roundtable, I would have brought this one up. So, back in 2000, and I think it was 18 that this movie yep. came out, there was a movie called The Farm. And Yes, there was. <laughs> and I really wanted to see it, partly because the tagline was, they eat meat, they ate meat, and they paid. So, I am going to give some spoilers here. If you have not seen The Farm, and for some reason you really want to see it, you may want to skip over this. I'm not going to spoil the ending and tell you what happened there, but I'll probably give enough that I'll give away this a lot of stuff from this glorious movie, so you've been warned. Um, this movie is, is basically, in a nutshell, about people treating humans like they're farm animals and, and farming them for their meat. So they're yeah. kept in cages, and there's a scene where women are being milked so they're inseminated and even as i talk about it it sounds ridiculous and they're milked and um you know there's there and i guess they're the males are put kept in cages in cages and i guess the idea is that they get semen from the males i don't even know exactly what happens to the males but i guess they're used as boars until they're no longer useful and then they they're killed um and the reason why i wanted to see this movie is because as i'm sure you know You've all figured out if you listen to this podcast or follow my page, I am a political person. I'm very much like classism, climate change, all that stuff. And I have a lot of respect for people that are vegan. And I thought that this was like a trying to educate about how animals are treated in meat processing. So Kenneth brought this up on the fourth episode or the four year anniversary episode of Kill the Cast. And he is actually looking at doing his own farming by the way, and killing his own cattle and stuff like that one day, which I think is really cool. But because, because animals are not treated well. Yeah. They, you know, like I turn my, I, this is where I turn a blind eye and I have no problem admitting it. I eat meat. We had bacon today. Uh, for example, we had beef last night because Scott made us tacos and I turn it off and I pretend like it doesn't bother me and I pretend like I don't know, but I am well aware of the fact that animals are treated poorly. Even on my drive down to Michigan, I drove by a pig truck and it's very cold up here right now in Canada and Michigan. And these piggies are outside. They're they're going against the air. They're cold. I, I get it. Animals are treated like crap. 
And I thought this film was trying to educate people about that. I thought this was a way of trying to like, hey, look how these humans are being treated. Why do we think it's okay for animals to be treated this way? But it didn't really go that way. Nope. It had a wonderful concept that when you described it to me as you're watching, going, oh my God, this is, you, you need to see this. I'm like, I, I like the idea. I, I, I got to see this. And it was unfortunately just poorly executed. And yeah. the message was lost somewhere. And I don't know if that was their message. Like, in all it fairness. It really feels like they were But I feel like they were trying to do that. And, you know, they wear these animal masks. And I get that. they're try- And they're silent. Yep, the animals are killing the humans. Right. It's and the, it's... Exact, you know, doing the revenge type deal. And they carry them around in cages across the compound. And they, they have a catering business where they feed people with... They feed other people with these humans that they harvest. And... But there's a scene, and this is a spoiler, where a, a baby is killed, and it is ridiculous. Like, it doesn't even look like a real baby. It looks like they threw a Cabbage Patch doll across the room. Yeah. And, like, you know, that's – yet again, if you're going to do kills, do them right. Like, this was an opportunity to really have some emotional buy-in to the characters, to really explore the meat industry, for them to explain, like, this is how you treated cows. Now you know what it's like. You need to suffer. Like, there could have been so many ways that they could have made this better. But it was non-gory, non-suspenseful, boring. And the ending, like, you didn't even care what happened to anybody. Like, you weren't affected at all. Like, if they had, like, the ability to add gore, this could have been more entertaining for me. Mm -hmm. Because I looked at this going, well, this whole concept, like, yeah, it's the killing and slaughtering of humans for meat. So... Yeah, this could be gory and over the top and yeah. silly and have a message behind it. And it failed on all those levels. Um, the one thing that I keep going back to and I bitch about every time about this film is the terrible sound quality. <laughs> yeah, the sound was bad. It was bad. Like, you had background music that was drowning out your character's di- dialogue, which is not good. Yeah. You cannot do that. Like, if... If I have to turn on a caption just so I can <laughs> hear what the characters are saying because the music is too loud to ever actually interpret what they're saying, that's saying something bad. Like, whoever did the sound editing did not uh, compress it and make it quieter like they should have. And, you know, I'm, I'm spe- this is speaking from a beginning editor whose first time editing was... The last, ep- our very first episode, just a couple months, like a month ago. And I feel like I could have added, like, I think you could have done a better job. That. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, I I just don't know how that could have had that slip by. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the one part that I find funny, and yet again, this is a spoiler, there's a part where, like, this chick leaves her boyfriend and, like, totally pieces out on him. Like, they're being chased, yeah. and he trips and falls, and she's like, all right, bye. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> And then he's dead. <laughs> and I was like, and that's what I mean. Like he just didn't like and he for even, the characters. Yeah, and he even came and saved her. And he ass. saved her, and she was all like, "Peace." I would even go back for Scott. I've known him for three months, and I wouldn't leave him. Like, <laughs> right, all like this dude. But anyway, it's it. I, I gave it what a two out yeah. of ten. Yeah, I think I was right around there, like a two and a two and a half, somewhere around there. Like it was just. A rough watch, and like, I'm and I'm not going to go as far because I, I pride myself on trying to say movies that 
not I'm not gonna say it sucks and it's horrible. No. I'm just gonna say that I think they tried. And we were at the convention yesterday and there was someone with one of the farm masks and I was like, Hey Scott, look <laughs> they put yeah. the light the film. So like I, this may work for some people, absolutely. I just felt like they could have done more. Yep. Good intention, poor execution. Yep, the only thing I like the only bash I will say is that sound design. But yeah. the movie itself I just say was uh a missed message. Yes. Like they had a good opportunity to do something and what we expected just wasn't there. Yeah, that's a and good way to describe it. Like, I like because I'm like you. I'm trying not to bash on films because you know there is something for everybody out there, and someone might like this. Like, well, someone did. They were at the convention with the sheet well, mask. I don't know if that like <laughs> see, I was looking at that mask and I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be your next. Oh, that's true. Or the farm. That's right. It could have been your next. I, I just imagined it was from the farm. <laughs> I mean, I think it's because the farm is more fresh in our head. That's probably why. You're right. You're right, but, you're right. Yeah, they have, like, the same killer animal masks like the Your Next That's does. Right. So it's very, they have very similar looks, but... It's probably Your Next, not The Farm. <laughs> I would be shocked if someone else has seen The Farm, and just because yeah. it's low budget, yeah. straight to video, like, not many people probably have even seen this film. No, like, and, and, I, and I wouldn't even recommend it for Gorehounds. Like, I don't... No, if... I recommend it to anybody that's just a fan of film and... If you are a vegan, like, a uh, revenge-style yeah, message, yeah. this might work for you. Yeah, like, maybe. You're like, yeah, see, that's why you don't buy meat from <laughs> meat manufacturers. I don't know. Yet again, good intention, poor execution. Yeah. Best way to sum it up. Yeah. I would say it was definitely something that you have to experience to yes, understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you don't have to. Don't blame me. <laughs> if you do well, watch it. I'll, I'll blame you. Yeah, Scott can blame me because I did tell him to watch it. So I mean, I make her watch bad movies too every once in a while, so it's it's only fair. Not as bad as that. <laughs> that was pretty bad. <laughs> Give it time. Give it time. We are on It's Not Horror, okay? That's Give true. It time. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Good point. Um, but yeah, I think that's the end of our what we've been watching. Um I guess we can jump into our main topic, which is slashers, the history, the design, assumptions, and the impact. Uh, and I will be starting first. I ended up uh, looking up, getting some notes, and uh, looking up kind of uh, the basic history, pretty much from the 1940s on, of like the slasher genre. Uh, a lot of this information comes from realrundown.com, and the title of the article was The Origin of the Slasher Movies by Kyle Atwood. Um, so pretty much from the 194, uh, 1940s to the 1950s, uh, it w- this would be basically the start of where the basic construct of slasher films kind of started. Like, well, actually, sorry, the 1920, like the 1920s is where we start with the basic construct with a film called The Bat, which summarize, which is a group of unfortunate victims of stalked by a killer in a horrifying mask, which, uh. You know, that's kind of a uh, take of slashers right there. It's mm-hmm. the, the mask, the mm-hmm. stalking. Mm-hmm. So it's like the basic bare bones concept right there. Absolutely. All right. So, yeah, in the 1940s, we see the the Leopard Man, which is earliest American film that tried its best to realist, realistically portray a serial killer. So another form of slasher in the way. And there was also the Scarlet Claw, which is where a Sherlock Holmes story, and he's investigating a series of murders where the killer is using a garden weeder to repeatedly attack his victims. Uh, the cinematography of slasher films is where this, pretty much where this was born. Nice. Uh, because it came with a uh, camera work of focus on the brutality of murder being committed. 
So yeah, that would be kind of like what we see in a lot of these slasher films from the 80s. So the interesting thing, so when did you say that first film was, Scott? 1926. 1926. So we're looking at the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. So this is just on the cusp of the Depression. And I don't think there was any tie into that, but I just think it's interesting that probably people would have had the money to go to the theaters and start seeing these films. So it's interesting they came out at well, that time. And the Depression, well, I will say there is uh, the theater during the Depression was booming. Was it? Yeah, because people needed an escape from the re- their realities. Well, we'll be getting into that later. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Film so, is the escape, is it not? Oh, it is very much so. And, uh, but yes, there is uh, one more film that was also brought in during the 40s that was, and then there were none, which was released in the 45. This film centered around eight different people who are systematically killed off. Not without reason, however. The victims of, and there were none, all, all are being punished for various secret sins that they had committed. Another little mm-hmm. tie into what sla- slashers kind of became. Absolutely. And then, of course, we get in the 60s where, you know, one of the more popular films of all time, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, mm-hmm. came to be. And that gave us, like, the visuals that sparked controversy at the time of its release, including the brutality, the murder, um, and the sexuality, and the first-person view of the slasher. Yep. Though I wouldn't really technically call this a slasher film, but this is definitely where slashers started taking the, all these films. None of these were considered truly slashers. They were where they started taking bits and pieces of these films and implementing them into what we would know as slashers. Absolutely, yeah. Especially in the Golden Age. Yep. And uh, in 1960, there was also another release of a overlooked film that I briefly brought up in uh, my last article from our first episode, uh, Peeping Tom. Which also uh, had like been considered kind of like a modern or a uh, ancestor of the modern slasher. Uh, it tells the story of a serial killer who is obsessed with recording the deaths of his victim on camera. So we not only see the birth of more brutal scenes here, but we also find the origin of the splatter cinema, which is where uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis kind of becomes popular, which I will talk about briefly in a second. But then in uh, the, the, the split, yeah, okay, so yes. Splatter Cinema was born in 1961. It was uh, the homicidal, which is more brutal and gory and less censorship overall. This is before a lot of the censors came in and cut films and forced them to, especially the MPAA. Well, the liberation of the 60s, right? We got Woodstock and everything else going on there, too, so why not? Yep, and a lot of free-spirited people. Free-spirit, free-love. Freedom of speech. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And freedom of art. Yep. And then there was also... uh, the House That Screamed, which was released in Spain, which essentially featured all the basic tropes of horror films at this time, but had a hand in setting the framework for campus-based slasher films. Which, yeah, there are plenty of those, especially when we get to the 80s. Sure are. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, in the 70s is when the godfather of gore, Hirsch and Gordon Lewis, came out. He's known for, like, just pretty much doing the... Showing the most violent things on screen that he possibly could. Yes, they were low budget and it looked fake as hell, but at the time, like, it freaked people out. So we have, like, Wizard of Gore and, uh, God, what was the name of his, uh, Blood Feast and movies like that. Yeah. Like, he showed violence and it was nasty looking for its time. Yeah. And it was in color, so it really was striking to the visuals. And then, uh. That gave birth to much violent, much more violent splatter films that kept going from there on, and they would uh, 
and a lot of the slashers would adopt some of the style of this violence, not not nearly as extreme for the most part, but carry the tone way through the early mm-hmm. 70s. Mm-hmm. And then mid 70s is pretty much when the grindhouse era began, and this is where we get a lot of the films where the genre hits adolescence and went spiraling spiraling into adulthood. Yep. And this is where we see stuff like Last House on the Left and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. And it's got that gritty, realistic feel to it. But obviously, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is what we would call the proto-slasher. Like, because it is pretty much the prototype to what slashers would become with, like, the feel. Like, it was one of those films that, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I... It always feels like a nastier film than it truly is. Like, you'd expect it to be, like, you watch it, and then everyone's like, so how was, oh man, that movie is violent as hell, but then you watch it, there's little to no blood on the screen at all. Though it feels dirty. I feel like I need a shower after I watch that movie. Yes. I don't know, I I hear what you're saying, and I, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I don't know if it's because it's filmed in the 70s, or how they're dressed, or how that house is. They do a good job of making that house look disgusting. Yeah, well, and the movie was filmed in, like, 100-something degree weather. Yeah, too. like, you can feel the humidity. Yeah, everything was just nasty. Yeah, and, just... like, it's gross. Yeah. No, I don't mean gross in a bad way. I don't mean, like, a gross film. But, yeah, you do. You're right. You, It does seem more intense than it actually is. Yeah, there's, there's something that... Yeah, there's just something about it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those few films that I can say that about where it's just like, yeah, I picture in my head it just being extremely violent and this and that and gross and... No, it's just nasty and gross. Sweaty gross. Maybe because it feels like it was filmed on a camcorder. Yeah. And it feels like a home movie. D- yeah. And you just, like, obviously it's more quality than a home movie. I don't want anyone getting up at you about that comment. But, like, maybe that's why you feel dirty afterwards. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's, it's very unique how that film yeah, like, ended unique up being. Film. Yeah, And, uh, like... During this time, though, it was mixing itself up with violence, controversy, suspense, and even adopting a better method of storytelling, and that's, you know, pretty much when the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came in, because that's when the story started becoming a lot more important to the mm-hmm. plot. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, as we go on, some of those things forego the story and just mm-hmm. kind of go with the basic tropes of slashers, mm-hmm. but... Mm-hmm. but yes, and then, yeah, 78 is obviously where... The slasher genre truly took hold, and that is John Carpenter's Halloween. Yes. Like, we don't need to go into detail about this film. It was low budget, but it did everything that the slasher genre became. The stalking, Mm -hmm. the hiding in shadows, Mm -hmm. the first person point of view shots, Mm -hmm. the not knowing who the killer is, being a masked killer, stalking uh, women. Sexuality, conservatism, how you survive. Whether you love Halloween, hate Halloween, indifferent on Halloween, I think as a horror fan, you have to respect what John Carpenter did at the time. Now, I say you have to, obviously. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. But it is a monumental film at that time. And I think if it was released now, people would hate it. Generally speaking. Yeah, because it's a bit slow for the modern audience. Right. For us, like, you know, it's tension building. Yeah, and for people that really like horror slasher slasher movies, it's it's really great. But even the slasher piece, there was a plot to that. You felt 
for the young ladies that were in it. You even felt a little bit for the boyfriends, though they were kind of douchebags. They weren't super awesome guys, like not like any of them were. But the the ladies you definitely felt sorry for, and especially yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis's character, and you cared about when she's on that door banging to get in, and Michael Myers is coming up. I don't care who you are. There was some anxiety there. Yeah. Like, why haven't the kids opened the door yet? She needs to get in the house. She needs to get in the house. She needs to get in the house. Like, there is something that builds in you there. Or when he's in the ghost sheet with the glasses, um, Michael Myers, and he comes upstairs to, oh my gosh, I feel like all the Halloween people are going to freak out because I don't remember the name of the girl. Don't worry. I don't know. Like, um, the actress is PJ Souls. I there you go. Much. PJ Souls is upstairs. And you're like, no, it's not your boyfriend. No, it's not your boyfriend. Like, there is moments where you're yelling at the TV, whether you're yelling in your head or you're thinking, oh, my God, this is going to happen next. And that is that is what's joyous about slashers. It is that anxiety as the audience member to know what's coming. Yes. And being not able to stop it. Exactly. And this is also, once again, one of those films that little to no blood. Yeah. And it's all tension. That yes. This is where slashers get the tension built from. Absolutely. It's something that it develops a, a fear as it goes, and that makes it enjoyable. Yeah, and it is, there is a reason it's in my like top 24 films of all time. Absolutely. Because it's just a well-crafted film. Um, but then, yeah, then here's where we get into the golden age of slashers with the 80s. Mm-hmm. And this is where slashers became a plenty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, starting up pretty much the craze was Friday the 13th from 1980. Yep. This is where it went to the camp slasher. Mm-hmm. And a lot of premarital sex and drug use and... Lots of very violent on-screen killings, especially for the time, and a secret giallo-like reveal of the who the killer is at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yep, first-person camera the whole time, so you have no idea who the killer is till that final reveal. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this is pretty much, once this came out and the success it had, this is pretty much the boom of the slashers. Like Absolutely. This, this is what created a lot of it. Yep. Because then, yeah, we'll get what we'll begin. To, we'll talk about a few of these films a little more in depth. But yeah, after this was like obviously the sequels, because this is when sequels became a big thing too. For slashers. and knockoffs, yeah, and knockoffs. Like we get the burning. Mm-hmm. While I wouldn't say burning's a knockoff, it's just a different urban legend being told that just so happened to be filmed around the same time mm-hmm. as Part Two, Friday mm-hmm. the Thirteenth. Madman Marv. Yep, Madman Marv. Yep. Uh, Madman. It's not Madman Marv. That's the song that they sing in it. Yeah. But Madman. Fear the Madman Mars. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Such a horrible song, but such like yeah, <laughs> catchy. Terror <laughs> Train. Yep. Terror Train. We get Sleepaway Final Camp. Final Exam. Yep. Final Exam. Sleepaway Camps. Um, and this is also one that we didn't. I did skip over an accident. Was uh, in the seventies. Also was Black Christmas. Yes. Which is also another proto Canadian. Slasher. Yep, another Canadian special. That's why I skipped over it. It was Canadian. No. That's right. <laughs> but nope. Uh, and that's pretty much what started the trend of the holiday-themed slashers. Yeah. And obviously was like another one of the inspirations for how slashers became what they are now. Yes, absolutely. Because yeah, in the holiday-themed slashers, you get like Mother's Day, My Bloody Valentine, New Year's Evil, Happy Birthday to Me, Happy April Fool's Day, Prom Night, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Terror Train, Hell Night. Like, visiting hours, mortuary, night warning. It just goes on and on. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. people use these as uh, holidays, as fun reasons to make a slasher, which 
And all honesty, like, there's even a Thanksgiving slasher, Blood Rage. Yep. Or, as it's also known, Nightmare in Shadow Wood. And that movie's awesome if no one's seen it. Highly, highly, highly recommend. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, you know, it, this is where, also, mid-80s is where, like, because things started to kind of feel overdone at this point. Because there were just so many that came out. And there's just abundance that exhaustion of this uh, genre was starting to kick in. And that's when a more debatable film, whether it's slasher or not, kind of kicked off. And that would be Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. with the supernatural element. The reason I say debatable is because Heather and I actually had a conversation about whether we would consider Nightmare on Elm Street slasher. There are slasher elements in it, but I feel it's more supernatural monster movie than slasher mm-hmm. film. And I'm not sure how you felt about that yourself. But I don't know. To be honest with you. Because Supernatural can be slashers. Like, really, yeah. Jason is Supernatural. Oh, for sure. You know, by the time we get to, like, Friday... Well, when he comes back from the dead in Friday 6. Yeah, and he's zombie right? Jason. Right, like, he's zombie Jason. We we now go into Supernatural. And then you could argue up to that, too. He was pretty Supernatural. Like, he, he dies in 2, he dies in 3, he dies in 4, but comes back all the time so i i don't know how i feel about nightmare on elm street i almost feel it and nightmare on elm street is my favorite series um i don't know if it's my favorite movie but it's my favorite series yeah i don't really know how i feel about a category on that like maybe i just am so elitist that i think it's in a category all on its own (laughs) but um here she goes second west craven's dick again yeah yeah i love west craven it's true but I, I don't know. I, I see where people would consider it slasher, and I see where people would consider it not. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to have a film that falls into multiple categories. Yep, it's like, one of those valid arguments. And that, and it is what it is. But I can see why people refer to it when they look at the 80s development of the slasher. Because it, it was a low-budget film. It was built on uh, uh, Wes Craven's dreams, or dreams, the nightmares that he would have, and fears that he had as a kid. So, yeah, like, and of someone dying in their dreams. Like, it was a story of a med student that died in his dreams. So, you know, I I, I guess I see where the relation is, but I also see how it's supernatural, too. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I can see the arguments on both sides. Like, for me, I'm just not sure how I specifically feel about it, really. Yeah, and it, I don't think you need to feel a certain way, to be yeah. honest. Like, I think if people consider Freddy's it a slasher, Freddy. that's fine. Like, I think that's, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it can fall into multiple categories. Yep, and... But this is where the Freddy is pretty much responsible for what we start seeing in slasher films after this, which is the wisecracking one-liner killers of the slasher genre. Like, we get Angela Baker from in Sleepaway Camp 2, where in the first one, Angela Baker's just this quiet little girl, doesn't say a word, and messed up reveal at the end. And then in part two, it's just joke after joke after joke after joke when she's killing it's just non-stop which is entertaining and then you get chucky who's just a foul mouth little killer doll for mm-hmm. child's play mm-hmm. and has his one-liners and stuff like that so mm-hmm. like yeah the freddy built a new foundation for what the slashers would become and i think that was a blessing and a Cursed now, in all genre. fairness, so we don't get podcasters correcting us, we're talking about Freddy from Nightmare 3 and on. Because in the first two films, 
there was maybe some comical, but it was very dark. Yeah. Yeah. Very, there very was, dark. But that, he was one of the first killers to be vocal. Yes. Yes, he was vocal and would taunt his victims verbally yes. before executing. Yeah, but where a lot of the others were silent protagonists yes. that wore masks. Yes. And Freddy had a face. Yes. That you could see. And, and a story. A yeah. more clear story, too. Yep. More than, I'm getting revenge because someone pulled a mean prank on me in high school. <laughs> right. Right? Like... Which is one of the typical 80s slasher yes. tropes, especially in the camp. Some slasher. girl said she was going to have sex with me, and then she did, and she embarrassed me, and now I'm mad I'm going to kill everybody. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, you know, this... This is pretty much what was the blessing and the curse of the slasher genre, because yeah, it came, brought out some interesting new characters to the series of franchises, and brought out some interesting one-off slasher films, but then also it got just too jokey, yeah, and no one cared anymore, and the slashers just started not making a killing at the box office anymore, so people kind of gave up on them. Yep. Then we hit the 90s, where Wes Craven, once again... Mm -hmm. reinvigorates the genre with Scream, which, you know, pretty much takes all the tropes of everything before and just mocks them relentlessly mm -hmm. and adds a bunch of new elements to a what would be considered a tired genre at this time. And I think if we look at New Nightmare that came out in 94. Yep, that and, was the start of it. Yeah, and that and that was the idea that you were no longer safe as an audience. Breaking down that third wall, I guess you could say, in the sense that Nancy or Heather Lamencamp then played herself in the movie and Freddie was coming off screen into reality. Yep. Now, not to go into that too much because that's not what we're talking about. But if we look at Scream, that's what it was. And really, if we think about parents and when the 80s and the slashers came out, and I'm going to get into this more in my piece, but, oh, you shouldn't be watching all that violence. It's going to go to your head. Oh, young people are going to go out and they're going to shoot. Like we hear this again with video games, mm -hmm. right? So... Scream enacted that fear, that fear that white men, because it was my, it was all white people in the first one. Yep. I don't recall anybody of color being in that film. That yep. was a main character. Um, middle class, I believe, except for a couple of, there was one main character that was, well, gave the impression that he had less money. Yeah. And reenacting these fantasies. Of scary movies, watching one too many scary movies. And I remember being a young Heather watching Scream, falling in love with that series. And my parents thinking something was wrong with me. Like, why do you like all that gore? Why do you like all that slashing? What's, you know, that's not good for you to watch. Right. That's too violent. But let me throw on Pulp Fiction and that's fine. You know, I think that it's very, very interesting how Scream took the fear that society had and played on it. Yes. You watch one too many scary movies, you play one too many video games, that's where violence comes from. Yep. And that is like a fear that we will always have one way or another. Mm -hmm. Like as a society. Mm -hmm. And the one thing though I do love, like you were saying with Breaking the Fourth Wall, the one thing, he made a character that was specifically the audience which yes. was randy yep the horror movie nerd that's just going oh don't do that that's a bad idea you're giving you the warnings like in the movie because we all know what's going to happen he knows what's going to happen like mm -hmm. granted he doesn't realize he's in a slasher film when mm -hmm. it's happening but yeah he is us represented on screen mm -hmm. and he's one of my favorite characters from that series because of that absolutely and you know that came out with a couple sequels that 
Well, we've already debated Scream 3 and its merits and how it's Oscar-worthy to Heather, and <laughs> we won't go there with me. But, uh, but you know, thanks to the success of Scream, we got a lot of, like, a lot of the new age 90s I know slashers. what you did last summer. Yep, yep, I know what you did last summer. Urban Legends, Valentine, like, we just got a slew of these, like, because there was a success, but none of them hit that successful mark like Scream did, but they all tried copying the formula of TV, young TV, young pretty TV stars mm-hmm. and up and comers and the occasional like well-known actor or musician. Like Drew Barrymore in the opening of Scream. Yeah. Like Drew Barrymore, I believe, was almost on the front of like, they had the characters lined up on the, on yep, the poster the and I believe that she was one of the front ones, which makes sense. She was the most well-known person yeah, that's how you're in the film your movie. at the time. I would say probably besides Nev Campbell because Party of Five was on at that time and that was a pretty big show. Now she had been on and Catwalk for any of the Canadian fans that are out there. Um, mm-hmm. But let's be real here. No one watches Canadian TV except for a handful of Canadians. So, you know, (laughs) a few Americans here or there, but um, yeah, like she was the big star. And even if we look at, I know what you did last summer, you had Freddie Pinch Jr. Who I believe had been in She's All That. I don't know if that came before or after that movie. Right. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Sarah Michelle Gellar. That was from Buffy. So you definitely had people that were targeted to that age group. And I, Love those movies. Even if we saw Crush um, or um, the one with Marky, Marky Walburn and, and Alicia. Oh, Fear? Fear. Like, that was almost like a slasher. Maybe it was more suspense because he doesn't slash or kill tons right. of people. But you still, yet again, you see that move over of these young stars kind of playing to that teenage angst side of things yeah, at that, that time. Because that's even more of a good point. Because Scream not only paved the way for the slasher genre to be reinvigorated, but it inspired all sorts of other genres of horror films to start getting these actors and actresses or thrillers or other things like that like I mean, transferring look, over yeah look at the faculty yeah elijah wood freaking uh devin sawa was usher he in usher yeah devin yeah. sawa yep yep there like all these famous people were in these like films that's because of because of scream success yep. and it kind of re it was pretty much what reinvigorated the horror genre as a whole Yes. Not just slashers. Well, and it spoke to that generation. Yeah. You know, I remember eating up those movies like they were candy. I couldn't get enough of Same. those films. And it was, I was a perfect age. I was 13 to, I don't know, 17 when a lot of these movies came out. Mm-hmm. Loved them. Loved them, yeah, loved them, loved them. I was 15 them. to 18. Yeah. It was so, right around that age. Right around that age where coming of age of dating, you're getting boyfriend, girlfriends. Like, I still remember the opening scene of Scream 2. And we were at the movie. Every time I go to the movie theater... I didn't tell Scott this, but I think of Scream 2 in that opening scene. Nice. But Jada Pinkett and I can't, Omar Epps, I think? I think yeah, I think it is Omar, Omar Epps. Epps. And like, he goes to the bathroom and he thinks he hears people messing around and he gets stabbed and the Scream guy comes, the guy, the killer comes back and to the theater and kills Stands her in the her. middle of the theater and no one Everyone's, reacts yeah, because they think, think it's part of the it. show and... Oh my god, like that whole build-up scene, that is an amazing opening scene. You know, say what you want about the sequels, but that scene is well done. And Jada Pinkins screaming was blood-curdling. Yes. Blood-curdling scream that she did in that. So, you know, I really think that did set off an era and responded to that time. And they started to get more diversity in the films. Um, Still, those characters played a specific role. Yes, they did. They did. Like, let's not give Wes Craven too much credit here because they were still very much typecast. Yeah, but um, I think he was also purposely typecasting them to kind of mock that old trope as well. I don't think so. I think, I honestly think we've, 
I I think Jordan Peele is the only person that really broke that, to be quite honest. And Candy, Fair enough. like I really do. I think that I'm not going to give Wes Craven that credit, and I really like Wes Craven. But you know what? No, I think that as we get to now, we're seeing more diversity and equality. Oh, definitely. Right? I, I don't I can't think, argue that. I don't think he. Would, I think he just did that because Jada Pinkett was a hot star and was married to Will Smith at the time, and she's a good looking lady, and or Mallory Epps is hot. Like, I think two good-looking people that are in the beginning of the sequence like that, and well-known, right? Yeah. Enough. So you you had the buy-in. Right. And, but unfortunately, what came of all this ended up, I think, being what led to kind of the demise of the slasher genre for quite some time, and that would be the Scary Movie franchise. Yeah. Yeah. I personally think, like... While I enjoy Scary Movie 1 and 2, I, I think they're funny as hell and just over-the-top silly and goofy, but they basically took the fear that was left in those films and the what was, the kind of uh, wink-at-the-audience, nudge-nudge type stuff that Wes Craven was doing with those films and all the other slasher films that came out after that, they took it and just ran it into the ground. You know, it's funny you say that. I don't think I've ever told you this, but when Scary Movie came out, I saw it three times in the theater over, <laughs> Did the, you weekend. Really? over the weekend it opened. Wow. I went Friday night, I went Saturday night, and I went Sunday. And I don't think I've seen it till it hit VHS, and then I watched it like three or four times, like within a like, couple weeks. I have seen all the Scary Movies. I think I stopped after three or four. Yeah, I've seen them all. And I think that, you know, you just blew my mind with that statement. I never thought about that till now. Yeah, because they, because yeah, they just pretty much made horror laughing stock for a while there. Yeah, they did. You're right. You're right. And like, because you know they were really pop, like especially the first two were really popular in theaters. Yeah. And a lot of people went and seen them. Yeah. And then you know that that this is another story, but it brought on the par like brought on the slew of parody movies we see now. Yeah. And let's not go there because <laughs> yeah. those are some rough movies. Yes. Um, but then yeah. You know, 2000s comes around, and we don't have, like, much. It's like a sprinkle of slasher films here and there. And, like, uh, I'm trying to think. Like, I can't think of any early 2000s ones. Like, the only one I can think of would be, like, when Behind the Mask, Lizzie Vernley came out. Yep. Because that is... That one was 2006. Yep. And that took the... Kind of the scream aspect of the, you know, poking fun, but doing it in a serious tone with a very charismatic character that's playing the killer. Which we saw yesterday. Yes, Nathan Basil was at the, th- uh, at the convention. And yes, I did. so wanted to meet him, but that line and just too many people. Yeah. But yeah, he plays such a charismatic character that you actually love his character. Yeah. Like, and then when he goes into Leslie Vernon kill mode, he's frightening. Yeah. And, but the way they do it, just the way it's like a documentary and they talk about how he, uh, has to do all this cardio and preparation. Cause of the, you know, he's like, I got to pretend I'm walking all the time. Like I can't run all the time. Like, cause I, you know, I'll cut, they won't, uh, they'll know I'm running after him, but if I'm walking, they have no clue. So it's like, this is hard work. I got to keep up with this. And, Like, a lot of the tropes he kind of, like, breaks the fourth wall with and kind of shows, Mm -hmm. like, you know, these are just more myths. This Mm -hmm. is what actually is. Mm -hmm. It's more real. He almost puts it more in a grounded reality. Yes. Yes. And 
I love the way this film this was done. Like as a because we were originally planning on just reviewing this movie with mm-hmm. us, but we figured there's so many films in general to talk about. We're just going to kind of just cover a bunch and just mm-hmm. in a chat. And but yeah, this is probably one of my more favorite modern day slashers. Yeah. Just because of the way it's done, the way it's filmed, the way it's a documentary halfway and then turns into a slasher film the other half. And the way it, it was just very clever and it gets a lot of love through the horror community, but it unfortunately did not get popular enough to ever get the sequel that they have been trying for. Yeah. Which I would love to see that at some point. Yeah. And I could be wrong on the date, but there's also the Hatchet series. Yeah. Which is a completely different tone. It goes with the kind of comedic bit. Yep. But it also harkens back to the love of the 80s splatter slasher. Yes. Yes. With over-the-top, very violent kills. Yes. And with a urban legend-style myth, kind of like the old camp slashers. Yep. With Victor Crowley and... A unique setting being in, set in little swamps of Louisiana. Yeah. But, yeah, you can tell Adam Green was a fan of those 80s gory slasher films. And you see a lot of those tropes still added into this film from those those days. And it's kind of like the genre is kind of regurgitating again. Like, and just coming back with nostalgia. And yep. The member berries, as I've said before. Member and, berries. <laughs> I remember these. <laughs> and... You know, there are some newer age, like, slasher films, too, like The Furies that came out. Well, Terrifier. Like, Terrifier, yeah. Which you did an amazing job covering on Kill the Cast with the crew. They did such a Thanks, fantastic Scott. job. <laughs> but uh, do you want to chime in with any of that? I do, actually. I kind of want to... I want to talk about some of the stuff I researched. Is that okay? Yeah. Do we do yep. that? I'll say we pretty much covered everything here, so... So, we've talked about the history of slashers up to this point, but film represents society, and society represents film. We watch what we want to experience and culture responds to that at any given time. And you can see that with the news. If there's a certain thing that people are interested, like we love drama, we love watching people in stressful situations, like look at live PD and cops. I have never seen two shows that are more boring to me, but people love that. They love watching people get searched in cars and arrested and they, and we love watching other people in situations that we are not because it's safe. Right. It's safe. And I really felt that there was a connection between society and horror. I wanted to look at the 1980s and I wanted to look at the early 2000s and I wanted to look at the political, social, economic situations at both of those times. So big as i've talked about a million times over i enjoy history i enjoy political and social commentary and i wanted to look at the two of these so i did read an article from kara convin and she talked about the political and social impact of slashers in the in the 80s and in the early 2000s so scott and i were both just twinkles in our parents eyes in the early 80s both of us being born 81 and 83 respectively yep and during the beginning of 1980 to 1983, there were over 300 slasher movies that were made internationally. 
That is insane. So internationally, right? So so <laughs> let's think outside of our little North American bubble yeah. and realize that's across the world. With Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre being the leaders, so either having the highest box numbers or being seen as the ones that were most influential. The popularity of slashers during the 80s and late 2000s reflected the social economic state of society combined. During both periods of time, we had a weak economy in North America and cuts to government programs. More Americans lost their jobs than ever before in 1980, and the unemployment rate was at its highest at 10%. Now, if we look at the population of America, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, in Canada, I my parents bought their first house in 1983, and they told me their interest rate was 30%. Oh, my gosh. Like, which is insane. So, you know, we're looking at an economic recession. So, at the time, Ronald Reagan was in power, and he cut jobs to welfare, school lunch programs, and young people were realizing that the society that their parents grew up in the 1950s and 1960s did not exist anymore. The whole, um, and I'm talking very stereotypically here, mother stays home, father makes enough money, so they have enough for, you know, a mother to stay home and provide all that support to the kids that they may need, meals cooked every night. The American dream. The American dream. And I guess you could argue the Canadian dream. Um, North American dream, I yeah, guess. The North, could, yeah, the North, North American, American dream. dream. The continental dream was no longer a reality in the 80s. You know, we had a rising amount of student debt. Like, trying to find the exact number here, I believe that 26% of students were in debt and it was growing. Their their student debt was growing. And there was an push for entertainment to allow them an escape. And young people learned through slashers that they needed to save themselves. The government was not going to save them. Authority was not going to save them because things were getting worse in the economy. People were losing their homes. People were losing their jobs. They had, she reflects to the concept in Halloween, the idea of running up to the door, banging on the door, looking for help. The light comes on and off and then they realize they were on their own. American youth at the time, and this is a very American-centric article, so I'll say American youth at the time were aware that they were on their own so what does cinema do they build on that yep and build on the fear they build on the fear and they build on what almost reenacting out of hope so yes it was building on fear but at the same time i can be strong and i can make it because yeah. we do see the rise of female protagonists now these females are good girls because we all know good girls don't have sex before marriage and we all know good girls don't drink and smoke because mm-hmm. that's what bad girls do. And if yeah. you're a bad girl, you get punished. So we do have a little bit of that trope. So I'm not going to give the female protagonist too much power. But I will acknowledge that it did allow females to be in a, yeah. in a, in a, in a role of strength. Because there was a hidden layer of misogyny still. Yes, absolutely. And control. Yeah. You know, as a young lady, you better just have sex with your husband. But as a young man... Oh, the world is your oyster. So who are you having sex with? All the girls that are going to die in the slasher. That's who you're going to have sex with. Yeah. Um, And then you'll die next. And then you'll die next. Um, So one of the points that they made was that the idea of being conservative and self-aware when it comes to choices. So conservative when it comes to spending money. Conservative of your surroundings. Your sexual identity. Being less sexually active and more conservative would lead to better choices and survival. And even for men. You know, we look at Friday the 13th or we look at the burning or we look at prom night and we look at people that made poor choices. Like you'd be watching the movie, be like, no, no, don't go there. Don't don't go outside to have sex. What are you doing burning people? Why are you going off into the middle of the woods and out of nowhere to have sex? You're going to die. Yep. Like 
it was this belief of knowing that while other people made right decisions and they were the ones that lived. So the atmospheres were purposely done to be representative to young people. So we're talking about campuses, parties, um, high schools, final exam, prom night, terror train. All this talked about how young people at the end of high school were like, what the fuck are we going to do? Yeah. The economy sucks. We're going to go into major debt if we're able to get into college. Our parents can't help to afford to put us through college because they're losing their houses and their job. What the fuck are we going to do? And all of those movies that they cited in this article are people leaving high school and trying to start off on that own in that fear. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because it kind of like brings up that movie Blood Rage. Yeah. It has that same thing where they're more college students and they talk about their issues and they're just going on a spring break. Absolutely. Or a fall, I guess it was a fall break. And you know what's interesting? Indigenous did this too. So Indigenous, which is not a slasher movie, but there's a point where they're sitting around having drinks. And I'm not sure if you caught it, Scott. And one says to the other guy, how's the job search going? Man, it's really hard. I'm, I'm yep. mounted in student debt. Like, we're still looking at that in 2009, oh, 2020, our, but this movie came out a couple of years ago. Our but student yeah. debt is probably even worse now than it was in the 80s. And it's the same in Ontario. Like, you know, Scott and I compare a lot about our two countries, and we talk a lot about economics and, pol and politics and stuff like that, which we won't go too much into on this podcast, just as it's relevant to the slasher genre. Yeah. But... You know, it's student debt is an issue. So I'm not surprised that they used that as as a reference in this article to talk about why slashers were that escape. So Ronald Reagan was up for re-election in 1984. And this is a really interesting point she made in this article. Nightmare on Elm Street was released. The idea that authority would not believe you. So Ronald Reagan had already been in power for four years. And now everyone I understand has their mixed feelings on Ronald Reagan. And I'm not saying he was a poor president. I'm just regurgitating what was written in this article. No one will believe you if something is wrong. The power cannot help you. Authority figures will fail you. And you have to figure it out on your own. So we can remember Nancy through Nightmare on Elm Street. No one believed her. Mm -hmm. She was constantly, and she realized at the end. And her father was her even. Her father didn't believe her. Her boyfriend didn't believe her. Her boyfriend's parents didn't believe her. No one believed her. And the young man that was in the jail. That goes to jail in the first scene and he gets hung in the jail cell early yeah, on. And he sees his girlfriend brutally murdered in a weird no one believes way. right yep. and at the end of it nancy through her resourcefulness of doing the booby chaps and trying to outsmart freddie she's on her own yep she's on her own and i think that's really what this was reflecting at the time the final girl you maintain all the rules you don't move off pace you do the right thing and you can survive right because nancy never has sex with Nope, she doesn't. Her boyfriend. Now, it's not to indicate that they hadn't had sex before. We don't actually know that. No, but just in the movie. In the movie, you don't see it. Um, so to tie back into Richard Nowell's Blood Money, a history of the first teen slasher cycle published in 2010. Besides the fact that these films were socially and politically representing what feel what teens were feeling, they were cheap. Yeah, <laughs> we all know they were cheap. cheap. <laughs> Cheaply made, cheap actors. Everything was cheap. Could pump them out. Quickly. And they pump, would pump, pump. all make a profit. And they all made money, which in the recession time was difficult. And yet again, people were going to these films for an escape and hope or to see life on film, yep. you know, to to have that outlet. A teenager facing the reality they would not be successful as their parents. The economy would not be as kind and they were going to have to fight for themselves. Relatable as hell even to this day. Relatable as hell as to this day. So then we hit the 2000s. 
So I'm skipping over the 90s because we do have Scream and stuff and we're not looking at the economy as much, but we didn't have as many slasher movies. But in the 2000s, they had bigger budgets, larger kills, using stars from well-known television shows, mostly white, Uh so we can see who the genre was geared towards, um, with additional cultural groups joining in as well, but usually as secondary characters. Yep. Right? Um, And definitely their roles began to change and develop as time went on, but very, very different. So I went to Wikipedia and I did a quick calculation of the number of slashers that were released between 2000 and 2010 internationally was 685. And that's insane because I don't think I've even, like we were talking about modern day slashers and I'm struggling to even think of any from that time period. Now we got to remember this is international. So this is looking at around the world. Right. Right. So, you know, us in our little North American cocoon sometimes don't think about (laughs) cocoon. That's that you heard it first here. Um, Don't think about other countries. I know I don't. Like, as much as I try to be like, look at me how cultured I am. I didn't think there was that many slashers done internationally. You know, so definitely that's something to think about. And it also makes me wonder, like, with certain films, if they are, if we look at them and consider them slashers ourselves or not. Absolutely. Because I know some people consider Saw a slasher. Yes. And that's not. At least in my eyes. Oh, Scott making some big claims. <laughs> Be interesting on Facebook group. Do you think so? I don't I don't actually have a strong enough opinion about slash about Saw. Yeah. I don't think it's a slasher either. Um I think it's more of a psychological film. Yeah, but psychological torture. You know, psychological torture, like a torture film. But, you know, that's up for debate for sure. Now if we look at the two thousands, what came out in two thousand and three? The remake Remakes. of Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre. And I really like the remake. Jessica Beale was great in it. And I'll be uh, honest. Yeah, like, I even, love that movie. Even when she's clawing around that white tank top in the water, like, as a straight female, I was like, damn, girl. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I. I'm sure you remember the scene, Scott. <laughs> I, I can, I, I'm, it, it's coming back to me now. It's coming back to you slowly. <laughs> but the point where she also has to kill her friend, like, there's some pretty hard scenes to watch in that movie. Yeah. Um, the unemployment rate rose steadily in 2003 to 6.3%, which was the foreclosure rate was 2.22.5%, and unemployment had spiked at 10% in 2009, and it was the highest that it had been since 1983. So back in 2003, we were seeing a descent into another economic recession, which we have the birth of these slashers. And at this time, the slashers really represented white, generally speaking, middle class society. So if we look at Friday the 13th, the remake, 2009, there is a very rich white male in that film. They all go out to his cabin and everyone hates him. No one likes that character. He is the douchebag. Nicest actor, though. If you watch the Camp Crystal Lake Memories. uh, Oh, yeah. He was super super nice guy and like loves the fact that people remember him from that film. So speaks to his acting quality. Right. Right. Um, But yeah. Characters from middle working class family or working class, it was targeted. So if we look at the the hero, the final boy was not a rich kid. He was a dude that was shabby, didn't have a lot, represented a lot of student people in society at that time. So we're looking at increased student debt. We're looking at people who are struggling. And that really spoke to that genre. And I look back at those movies. And at that time... Um, I was done university, but I can remember being in university. I graduated in 2006 thinking, what the fuck am I going to do? You know, like, how am I going to get a job? 
And people walking out with 60 grand in debt, 80 grand in debt, 100 grand in debt. And it really spoke to that situation that people were in. One of the quotes was that most students were in debt by over $26,000 to start off with. Mm -hmm. Right? And I know people that were in much more debt than that. Oh, yeah. You know? And... It represented the gap that was occurring economically. So so these characters were really beginning to reflect yet again the frustration that was going on. So we're seeing that resurgence from the 80s of film representing culture and who is surviving the ones that are resourceful, typically the ones that were poor. Like, I don't remember Jessica Biel's character or any of those guys being well off or giving the impression they were well off. No, and well, I think they were... Uh... No, I was going to say, I think they were, yeah, they bought a shit ton of weed because they were planning on, like, because, like, remember, there was a big old argument of that in the beginning of the movie, yep. that there was, like, a ton of weed that they were going to turn around and sell and make yep. money from. And... Yeah. So, and if we look at Friday, the remake, it was the shabby kid who drove around on a moped, saving his sister, and they were the ones that outsmarted Jason. All the rich kids got killed. Yep. Right? So, yet again, we, we see a move away from the whole, if you have sex you die. Because we saw that with Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell lost her virginity in 1996 and still was able to outsmart the killers. Exactly. So we see a move away from that, but we see almost like a new kind of, you know, just because you're poor, you can come back and you can overcome and you can do this and these rich people are going to get what's coming to them, right? And anyways... actually brings up a good point with the remake stuff, because I didn't think about this, but Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. A lot of that family was... Though these characters get ripped on because the yep. community it's it's overdone and ridiculous yep. but they are the poor white trash struggling family members mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Lori, you know ends up getting adopted and going to a well-off family mm-hmm. but that there is that struggling economy there as well yep absolutely and that and that recession of like the re- resentment of those people at that lower level too, right? Yeah. So anyway, it's it's one article's thought of it, you know, it's one person's input on it. And, but I really do feel as if we look at the economy, it's not a coincidence that all this stuff was happening at this time, and these slasher movies were being created. And I think Pat Gill in his article, "The Monstrous Years: Teen Slashers and Family," the Journal of Film and Video, sums it up perfectly: the world is a hopeful nightmare. Think of financial instability, economy, the AIDS crisis in the 1980s, the fear of sexuality and engaging in sex related activities, family structure, family unit can no longer protect you. And we see that now. We see the rise of single parent families, of a reality of difficult financial situations. We saw it in the 80s. Um, divorce laws changed in Canada. Uh, in 1981, they became much more liberal. More people could get divorced. So you had the rise of single parent families because of the liberation of divorce laws. Right. Um, the the image that was created in 1950s and 60s of that wholesome family was erupted by sexuality and economy. The idea that you need to be remorseful or, under, or overwhelming or you can just watch the gore, violent death due to the struggles with unemployment and debt. It doesn't matter. You're doomed anyway. So it's like a safe escape to watch something happen to other people because it turns your mind away from the doom and gloom that you're dealing in reality. And I think sometimes, you know, in the community, we look at slashers and we're like, oh, they're just slashers. You know, let's go watch something deep like Heredity. Let's go watch something deep like Superior. Superior. Thank you. Which I watched for the first time. Um, The original, actually, recently, which was quite enjoyable. 
But if I think we look at the bigger message behind slashers and we look at what was happening in society at that time, we see film representing culture and we can really begin to respect what those slashers meant to us. And I guess that moves us into, unless you had something else you wanted to add, talking about what slashers, what slashers were impactful to us and why, and especially with the information that we know now, does it affect how we, how we look at them? Right. Um, and yeah, for me, I mean, I pretty much hit on a lot of the ones that were impactful for me with my brief talk, or not brief, my long-winded talk about the history. But uh, Not one long-winded informative. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, one that had, I'm trying to think, the impact, well, there's two from the 80s that had, like, impacts on me from when I, like, as a child. Um, Friday the 13th, part two. Mm. That one just affected me because little did I know, like, it has more of an impact now that I'm older, but at that time, little did I know that I could relate to a lot of these characters as they were showing up to this camp. And the relation I had back then was I went to camps like that. Mm. So I could relate to them in a way, but obviously I was like a baby boy. (laughs) (laughs) I was like five, six years old, you know, not... Not no teenager mm-hmm. looking to get high and drunk mm-hmm. and have sex. Mm-hmm. But, no, I could see this, like, you got your, uh, you got your struggling teens that are, you know, coping with life in their own way, like, you know, partying and just having fun and escape from most adults. You have, uh, Ginny, played by Amy Steele, who, like, this is a trope in horror in general, but she shows up with a beat-up car that, you know, is just barely running rust bucket. Relatable to a lot of mm-hmm. who is a master student who is doing her psychology, yeah, trying to make ends meet, trying to get her education. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, and then you know, then just the amazing fun kills that happen throughout this one. Yep, and like I, I'm not really I can I don't see a lot of deepness to it, but like with like I can relate it to some of the stuff that you had brought up in this. I think it totally represents it. I think Jenny being someone that is a female. Yeah. Going to do her education to become a child psychologist and then using that child psychology at the end of the movie as the protagonist. Like, tying in, hey, there was some value to my education. Look what I'm able to do. But even acknowledging the beat up car that pulled up, it made characters relatable. Yeah. The dude that wants to get laid but can't manage to get the girl to have sex with him. Right. Right. The gonna have sex but on my period watch out for bears not gonna do anything right like it's it's so represented people and their frustration that they were going to at that time and it made it relatable yeah exactly and like for you what was another one what would you say one from the 80s had an impact well and i didn't see this as a kid i saw this only a couple years ago and it was the burning okay yes and great movie I really enjoy it. I know that it is, some people might see it as a ripoff. And I, I could see it being a ripoff. It came out around the same time that Friday 2 did. Or, I uh, believe, yep. right? Yep, they're being made around the same being time. Being made around the same time. I mean, the hell, they even have the damn near word for word exact same opening with the campfire with the tale. campfire of, tale and. Of Crowley and uh, freaking uh, Jason. Yep, that's right. The uh, the the or Cropsey, not Cropsey. Crowley. Crowley, you know, we're, we're, it starts with a C. Yeah. Um, and even at the beginning, that the scene where 
um, Cropsy kills the prostitute, right? And and that kind of the, the desperation of trying to get someone to be intimate with him and that frustration of not being able to have that need met and just making him angrier. Mm-hmm. Right. And throughout the film, you see the, the dynamics between that really nerdy kid who, you know, wants to talk to the girls and everyone thinks he's weird. And he stares at them in the shower and the really cool boys that, that bully. And then the one guy that keeps trying to hook up with the girl the entire time. And, you know, by eventually she's like, yeah, we'll have sex. Yeah, why not? And they go off together and he um, is unable to perform to any length of time and then she agrees to have sex with him again like there's just so many troops tropes in that and different personalities of you know the girls that are shy and awkward the the guys that are you know can't get the girl the guy that can get all the girls like it's just a very interesting built-up summer camp and it to me it, it represents what young people were going through at that time yeah i can see that and the kills in it like if i'm to talk strictly about the kills um when I was young, I went to a summer camp and I hated every minute of it. That was the exact um, I loved it. I hate outdoor stuff so much. And <laughs> I hate canoeing out to the middle of nowhere. And they made me do that. And I remember we canoed out. And I swear to God, it was the same rock face that they showed in the burning. And I remember getting out of the canoe and I said, where is the washroom? Thinking there was a porta potty I don't know why I thought there was a porta potty There wasn't. Um, and they said all around you, Heather. And I remember thinking, this is not for me. <laughs> so, you know, I really represented that. And they're, and they're, they're on that, the canoe and they're heading out to that, that, that raft. And then the, the coffee jumps out and he kills them. And even though that scene is a little cheesy with the blood and the gore and stuff, it's that anticipation of what is out there. Here's these kids trying to make it. And you really don't know who's going to make it back. Yeah. You really did not know who was going to survive and if they were going to be able to save this guy and coming and the and the one kid from the beginning that was around apparently still from the Cropsy incident going back to save the geeky kid and you know yes it had definitely the idea that you have to be resourceful, you have to face your fears, all that kind of thing. But I think that for me it just really spoken to being a young person and going through that adolescence you know, liking people, beginning to explore your sexuality, um, having awkward sex for the first time. Like, I think all those things just really spoke to me. Yeah, I could see that. And I'm trying to think, like, because uh, we were kind of just wanting to talk, like, a couple and, like, even some of the modern day ones and stuff like that. And uh, one that just popped in my head, and this wasn't something that you kind of touched on the most part in their uh, articles but this also is relevant for the time and this was the maniac remake yes with elijah wood oh man uh because this one's one of those you know borderline slasher films Mm -hmm. but you know he is stalking his victims first person perspective he's killing with a knife he's not masked but the thing that affects me about this one is and it relates to people our age is the way they deal with mental illness in that. Yes. Because there is a lot of mental illness struggles throughout our, Mm -hmm. throughout our adulthoods now. Like we see it a lot more now. And Mm -hmm. this film hit on like just the psychosis and schizophrenia that he suffered and the anxiety of trying to be wanting to be normal and, 
Because you'd see him go out and try to be normal with the girl that he fell in love with. Yep. And then he'd have to run to the bathroom because he starts freaking out and, like, you know, he's starting to see things. And, yep. like, obviously, like, it's way worse in the movie because he can't yep. control his urges and ends yep. up, like, having to kill. Yep. But it is a showing, uh, it's a showing signs of mental illness, which is a big struggle, and like, especially in North, North America. Mm-hmm. I would say internationally. Yeah. I think I think it's a problem internationally. And I think that we are still, it is the one thing that we're the most uncomfortable about. Or we wouldn't have movies where killers are schizophrenic. Yeah. And that's how they're portrayed. Yeah, that's Split true. would not exist if we did not have that fear. And I know that's a very controversial statement to make, but I 100% believe that movies like that do nothing for people with schizophrenia and do nothing but promote fear. Not saying it's not yeah. a good movie, not saying it's not enjoyable, but that's what we begin to do when we have things we like alienate. this. We do. And we and really someone of a mental illness is way more likely to be a victim of a crime than commit a crime. Right, exactly. Like maniac is actually not <laughs> the commonality. Like yes, I'm not saying that mentally ill people don't commit crimes. I know that I'm sure no. everyone could pull out journal articles and stories about that. But generally speaking, someone of mental illness is more likely to be a victim. Right. And the way they cover it in Maniac, they do it without, you know, saying, oh, he's got a mental illness, that's why he's a killer. No. They give you a history of why he is. Absolutely. And they touch on it in both the original and the remake a lot. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, because that's also another one of my all-time favorites is Maniac from the 1980. And that one, I had, like, it's a slasher. But not a slasher at the same time. Well, it. I think it. Yeah, I. I think that's an interesting opinion because I disagree with you. I think it's a hundred percent a slasher. I don't know where else you would put it. Yeah, that one's more uh, exploitation uh, character study for me. Okay, are we splitting hairs at that point though? Probably. <laughs> okay, like and I'm not trying to. You know. No, no, but I mean, you, you, it's pretty much it. Like I, I, I think that it is a slasher simply because of. It's, you know, he's going around and killing people. But I think what's a continuing theme of that is the sexuality piece of him so normally wanting to be accepted sexually, too. There's a huge sexuality piece of that movie and some sexual deviance that goes with it as well. And trying to have that normal sexual relationship, the expectations that would be right with the female. And so, yeah, those those are some of the ones that, you know, truly did affect me, like in the different time eras like obviously like i'd already gushed about scream scream affected me at that young age when i like at that right age i guess like because i was it was 96 so i would have been 15 when it came out yeah and yeah that one hit like i was telling you i watched it back to back three times in the same night my stepdad brought home the vhs yes oh vhs (laughs) yes that's how old i am folks yeah yeah. (laughs) you had to rewind it (laughs) yeah and that took at least 10 minutes. At least 7 minutes to rewind it. Do you remember rewinding? Oh, my God. Be kind, rewind. Yep. And you had to rewind the videos all the time. And... Oh, man. Those were the days. I think, you know, it's funny. We talked about Terrifier earlier. And I wasn't going to bring up Terrifier. But as we were talking, it made me want to bring it up. Um, I did do a review on it and kill the cast yeah. back in April last year. Your very year. first ever podcast. It was. I was so nervous. But Scott says I did well. So, I don't know. You guys can listen to it and tell me how you think I did. But um, one of the things that really stood out to me in that film is the pizza scene. And people always say there's no character development in Terrifier. And I think that's wrong. I, I, I think there was character development. And I'll explain my positioning as why I believe it is. 
two young ladies leave the bar. All right, for all us ladies that are out there, because I know there's few and far of us in the horror media community, we've all been there. We dress up in our slutty little Halloween costumes because we want to get attention from dudes. We get ham with our girlfriend. We get hit on by dudes all night. And then we leave. And we go to the car, and we're trying to leave, and maybe our friend's too drunk to drive, and we see some creepy dude. Okay, creepy dude everywhere. Creepy yep. dudes everywhere. We see some creepy dude in a clown costume. Friends too drunk to drive. Creepy dude disappears. We go to the pizza parlor. And the pizza parlor is where character development happens. The two young ladies are eating their pizza. And that dude sits down. And the way he stares at them. And I don't mean this to be offensive to the male audience members. But as a female, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Any ladies that are in listening. A guy sits down and he stares at you. And he stares. And he stares. And it is uncomfortable. And it captured that moment. It captured it that moment as a young woman sitting there just trying to eat their pizza and some creepy dude is just looking at you and making you feel uncomfortable. And he's not saying anything. He's not doing anything. So there's nothing you can really do about it. You can't say to him or you can't say to somebody, there's something wrong with this guy. Get rid of him. Now, maybe in this case you could have because he didn't buy any pizza. But there is nothing outright besides that stare. Yeah. And then he does something nice by taking the ring out of the gumball machine and bringing it over and giving it to her. And her friend jokes around. And that scene where her friend goes over with him to take that selfie, I was waiting for something to happen. Me too. And he goes to the washroom and he defecates the washroom. The girls are disgusted. No, you get a whole backstory about these young ladies and their lives. No, you get enough to know that they're out for a good time. This dude is creeping them out. They feel uncomfortable. Her sister's at home studying for finals or whatever the case may be. She calls her because the car won't start because of the issues that... I forget what they did to the car. but He, he slashed the tires. Slashed the tires. Is that what it was? And then you have to go in to use the washroom. And you beg this guy to let you use the washroom. And it's a disgusting washroom that you have to go in and use. That builds up every female's worst nightmare after a bar night. And we can all sit back in our high horses and say, well, they put themselves in that situation. They should have taken a cab home. But how many nights do you go out and that happens and you're fine? Yeah. You know, it wasn't that long ago. I posted a video on Instagram of me in September with my girlfriends and we were at a street festival going to a club and we were hammed. <laughs> and then we were having a good old time and we took a cab home. We don't drive when we've been drinking. We're very responsible. Um, but I could have been to me. You know, you go out and you plan on having a good time as a female and you shouldn't have to be afraid. Exactly. Of some dude hurting you. But it did play on that character development and it did represent for females that fear of going out somewhere and having someone hurt you and having something happen to you. And it almost being rationalized, well, you shouldn't have been so drunk. You shouldn't have been dressed so slutty. You shouldn't have been like this. You shouldn't have been here. You shouldn't have gone there. You shouldn't have done this. There's rules for women that there aren't for men. And I think that that to that movie, if I get deep into it, and some people may not go there, you know what? That's okay. You may be listening to this right now and saying, Heather, you're full of it. I don't buy it. And that's all right. But I think if a female, if you're listening to this, you're nodding your head going, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm right. not even female and I'm not in my head. <laughs> right? So I, Terrifier spoke to me for that reason. And of course the kills are sick. You know, if I look at it from a pure horror movie stance, the chase scenes in it when she's hiding underneath the car or she runs into the homeless lady and they have their exchange or the sign in half. 
who cannot appreciate a slasher and not appreciate that scene? First of all, the young lady is gorgeous. She looks very good with just her panties on. Second of all, the cutting down from the vagina down. Okay. Like, A, it would never happen like that. We all know that with a saw, that wouldn't actually happen. It would take much longer. But in horror movie magical world, it happens quickly. Holy shit. Like, I felt that. <laughs> I felt that. <laughs> I watched that film. Well, and I told you a story about how I had my coworkers over who are, you know, for the most part, basic horror fans. Yep. And it was like a, around Halloween time. And I was like, called it post-Halloween blues because it was right, like, yeah, it was November 1st. So I just had them over. We were going to watch a couple horror films. Well, one of my friends from work is on the darker side like me. And she watched Terrifier and loved it. She's going, oh, we should totally watch Terrifier. And I'm going, I don't know, because I'm going to feel very uncomfortable. Cause... Yeah, because that scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, well, but I, I left it up to the others. Because I was with all women. Yeah. I was the only guy there. So yeah. I really <laughs> felt uncomfortable about this one. We're just going to get to this scene now. <laughs> yeah. So they all said, yeah, let's watch it. I'm going, I even said, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 Like that was, I gave you the chance. That was your escape. Here we go. And yeah, seeing how that film affected them not only made me just go, oh God, I'm going to be labeled this weirdo for the rest of my <laughs> life at work now. But at the same time, also made me giggle because you actually got true fear out of them and reaction out of them. Absolutely. And, and you think the one girl is going to live and she doesn't. Yep. It pulls a psycho on you. Yeah. And people, you know, Mark Nato, I'm talking to you if you're listening to this. <laughs> Called out Mark Nato. Mark Nato and the gun. You know what, Mark Nato? Slashers can have guns. I absolutely love that gun scene. <laughs> Mark Nato can retaliate on next time I'm on the Rotten Round Table, we can talk about it. Um, but, you know, I get why people will say, oh, there's a gun. It's not a slasher. There is lots of other kills he does. He cuts a woman in half, for God's sakes. Like, you know, if if you have that big of a beef with the one gun scene that's used after he stalked her and attacked her and you really think that makes it no longer a slasher, I'm sorry. I disagree. There's well, too many other scenes. And I have to go. I, I got to put my argument in on this because I agree. The guns, like, I am, I think the gun scene is great. And the argument I always had was he was frustrated. Yeah. She fought back. She hurt him. Yeah. So he got pissed and fed up with the games and just said, enough. And when you see him just kind of unload on her and then just run out of bolts, he looks down at the gun and he just gets frustrated, like even and more that, annoying. And like, that expression is so good. And he goes back and he gets more bullets. Yeah. And it's this awkward scene where she's dying slowly. Yeah. Right. And so, no, so I, like, he has that there for those occasions is how I look at it. Like where it's like, all right, this is, this was fun, but now this is getting on my nerves. I need to end this. Right. And the scene where he murders the homeless lady and Oof. he's holding the baby and you feel that dread and that yeah, and the mental illness, the mental illness is brought up oh, again. And the pain for her. And she's really believing that this is a real baby Yeah, and something's going to happen. So, you know, I think that that slasher people sometimes go, oh, terrifier, it's... It's fluffy. There's no plot. There's a plot. You know, no, it's not as deep as you're going to see in, like, other movies that are going to come out this year. It's not, it's no color of space, okay? Like, we all know that it's not that. But that doesn't mean that there's not a plot. And it just means because you can't represent with the characters, someone else can. 
And I think as, as females in this horror, in this community, and not every female is going to feel, feel the way I do. I get that. But it's the same way I felt about, and not to go into too much of um, a rant here, and I always want to call it hide and seek, but the bride one from last year. Oh, uh, uh, ready or not. Ready or not. That talked a lot about values of marriage yeah. and for females and, and why being married was so important. So there is a female slant here that I think that it's very difficult for males to pick up on. Just like I can't understand male expressions and their experiences. It can be very hard for me to, for men to understand female experiences. So I'm hoping I'm bringing that to this discussion, a terrifier, and maybe people can look at it in a slightly different way. Right. If not, treat it as a fun gore. Yeah. Treat it as a fun gore party. Cause it is, especially when he wears the skin at the end. <laughs> And the way he dances. Yeah, I can't wait for Terrifier 2. I, I am, I'm hook, line, and center. Terrifier, take my money. Yep. Um, you know. Art the Clown, you have some fans. You have some fans, <laughs> and I love it. And you know what? If you don't, that's cool. But I think there's other things to be said about that slasher that I hopefully covered right now. Yeah, I'll say, because I think, and if we want, you know, more in-depth discussion, obviously, you can go back and listen to her podcast, uh, listen to Kill the Cast, where she was yeah. on it. And... We even covered it on the podcast by the cemetery for our Halloween. Yeah, you guys did a really good job of it too. Yeah, like Tim was not too thrilled about it, but no, <laughs> but no, and he's the one of those that you know argued the no plot, mm -hmm. which and he is a guy for all plot, which yeah, but yeah, I think we did a fairly good job of kind of just running around, like running the gambit with uh, slasher films in general. Like, like we said, we originally wanted to do like two movies to review, but. With there just being such a, an abundance of them and the effects that each one has had and the different time they were set, like, figured it was just a better way for us to do it is just by, just talk about certain ones briefly. And understanding the history, you know, and yeah. understanding that film represents culture. And, and I think sometimes slashers, like, when Scott and I were talking about topics that we wanted to do, and we talked about doing religion and horror, what is fear, uh, watching movies that we're uncomfortable with, like... And he and I said to him, well, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I really like slashers, but I don't know how we could talk about that. And we came up with this concept. And it just gives another way to look at the slasher genre. Because I sometimes feel like people go, oh, slashers, fluff, fluff. Yeah. You know, and they're not like, fluff, fluff. I mean, they are, like, the basic uh, the basic bone structure is fluff, fluff. Mm -hmm. But the, what is added into it with the characters and, like, where they, when they are filmed, like, they represent that era cheaply made important impact yeah that is a very good way of saying it and you heard it heard it here on fighting nightmares you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> cheaply made but good impact yep but uh yeah i guess that would be the end of our show so we can uh just i guess wrap it up by giving our plugs of where we can be found yeah um i uh check us out on kill the cast uh, we are under their banner Thanks to Jerry Herring doing all this amazing work for us. Mm -hmm. um, our episode. So if you are subscribed to Kill the Cast, our episodes will appear in your feed when they when we release them. Uh, it will be under Kill the Cast presents or KTC presents. Yeah. The Friday Nightmares podcast. So just keep an eye out for us there. Uh, hopefully this episode won't be too long now that I've understood the editing process a lot more. It should be a lot easier for me now. Um, and then we also now have a Facebook group. We do. Uh, the Friday Nightmares podcast that Heather and I run. And we have a lot of great uh, interactions on there. A lot of people have been listening to our show and just bringing up like topics. And some will even just bring up news articles to share on our page to start up conversations. And we do have a fellow named Craig that wants to 
get conversation going, especially about our last episode called uh, Is It Horror? And he wants to discuss the merits of this a lot. And he wants a lot of people to listen to this episode so they can have a dis- we can all have a good discussion on it. So, like, if you've listened to the episode, like, feel free to chime in on our page or, you know, ask to be accepted to our page. We'll let you in and... Yeah. We'll let anybody in. Well, we won't go that far. <laughs> Scott won't let anyone in. I'll let no. you in. I, I, I'm like the <laughs> gatekeeper. I'll just boot your ass out after a while. No, but yeah, just come on in. Like we share on our page. We love like the interactions with everybody that's listening, and mm-hmm. we appreciate all of all of you that have listened and took the time to give us this chance. Yeah, like I was, I was hopeful that we get more than five listeners. Like Scott's friends and my friends. I just figured that was who was going to listen, and together Scott and I have five friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it. No, but no, uh... no, it's actually been pretty like pretty well received and I have been very impressed with it. Absolutely. And uh do you uh have any guest spots coming up there, Heather? Well actually before we do that, mm-hmm. we do have It's Not Horror, okay, coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, which is always fun and just uh random off the cuff conversations. Very much so. And that is done with Android, who also does Android Vision at the last Saturday of every month. Yeah. Uh, so if you're interested, check that out. It's a YouTube kind of show where you watch him and the movie and it's chat room and it's it's fun. It's it's a fun little show that he has. Um of course Venom who's on everything. Yep. Um we most, got n- nudie. And, and yeah, and, and just to plug Venom's most recent show with Rebecca from the Mouth of Madness. Oh yes. Right? In the Mike of Madness. Mike of Madness, sorry, Mike of Madness. Um yeah, I just screw up everything and I just make shit up as I go and Scott corrects me. Um <laughs> I got your back. It's great. I just make up new names for things all the time. But anyway, he has a show that is excellent. As long as it's other shows too, but I know that's his most recent one, so I wanted to kind of promo that for him. As well as Nudie, who does it's not horror and NFW and hard to kill podcast. I forgot. Yeah. Hard to kill yeah. is back now. Yeah. Um, lots of fun on that commentary. We're going to be doing Ninja three, even though I called it Ninja warrior three and everyone freaked out on me. Cause and again, I just make up names for things. And I'm sure you'll get picked on during the movie, which is fine. Cause I just make up names. That's how I roll. Yep. Um, yeah. And I guess those would be the ones that we do. What else do we do? Do we do anything else together? Um, well, We're on the we Rotten did, Round Table. Yeah, we did the Rotten Round Table yeah. with uh, Mark Nato and Tammy Turner recently. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun, and I love working with them and hope to do it again soon. Yes. Well, um, I loved working with Mark till recently, till he... Till he insulted Intelligent Terrifier, and yeah. he just keeps putting things on Facebook. You know, Mark, your unpopular opinions are going to become very unpopular soon. <laughs> We're gonna be we're gonna be putting you on blast every time. That's right, Mark Nato. You, you keep throwing out these fighting words, yeah, and we're gonna I fight know. back, right? But uh, no, then I yeah, because I don't think I have any guest spots lined up. Well, actually, we do. I forgot. Uh, we do have. Uh, uh, hopefully, by the time you hear this, uh, we'll be on, or we will be recording soon. Cinema Tech with yeah. Derek, Derek B and uh, we got some great films lined up there that we'll be reviewing. Really exciting for that, yeah. Yep, and then uh, we're still in the works of uh, meeting up with uh, uh, the Horror Returns podcast with uh, Lance Langford. Yeah. Uh, we got to get a schedule from going for Texas. that. From Texas. Yeah, from Texas. Good old Southern boys. Good Southern boys. But uh, yeah, we're we're definitely making some rounds out we're there. We're getting as, around. Scott yeah. and I are easy. We're pretty slutty. Oh, you invite I, us onto you, a podcast, we'll put out. You, you just say, Scott, you want to be on a podcast? My legs will spread. That's right. <laughs> take much you don't even buy his drinks we're so right. easy <laughs> just, just invite me on the show but then you also have something special coming up i guess so i um 
I will be on the Exploding Heads podcast mm. with Mr. Dave C, Christian, and Brendan. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle all that sexiness in one podcast, but I'm going to try my best. Um, I'll be on with Miss Carly. And I think they're celebrating Women Horror Month, and yep. this is just before they go Patreon. So you will be able to hear me on there. I don't know what episode number it will be. I don't know. Probably like 97 or something. I just listened to 95 the other day. Um, so yeah, so that should be fun. We'll be recording next Saturday, and I don't know. We'll be at some point whenever Christian puts it out. But yeah, should be yeah. fun. That is very exciting because, yeah, a lot of respect for those guys. Very much so. Very much leaders in... Um, in the podcasting world. And I just want to give a shout out to them to major support, guys. I think it's great what you're doing. All the best with the movie. I really hope it works out. I will become a Patreon member. As support will I. you. Um, and I better get a walk on raw in the film, Christian. <laughs> so... <laughs> you hear that, Christian? You've been called out. <laughs> Come on. I live close to you. You should do that for me. But yeah, all the best to them. I really hope it works out for them. Yeah, I'll say me too. Because I, I think uh, it's very, very cool idea. Absolutely, and I think you know they got nothing to lose. Yeah, exactly. They have zero to lose. So, and they've put in a lot of time and work into this. So four this years, is something they deserve. Four years, hundred episodes. Yeah, like the time, the energy. Like we do, we've done two, and it's taken us a lot of work. Yeah, I can't imagine a hundred. Yeah, exactly. So you know what? It's I agree with Brendan. It is time, and um, just wanted to shout out my support for them because I think that. Uh, I think that some people have mixed opinions on it, and I think that it's fine. You do guys, right. you guys do you. Yep, and I'll say that we'll support you for sure. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that is the end of our show, so thank you all for listening. And until next time, unpleasant dreams. Thank you.